Welcome back. It's been a little moment since you've been here. Welcome, welcome. Um, I'm going to give you a little information about Jill, just in case you didn't catch her very beautiful and lengthy bio. Uh, Jill is one of the founders, uh, one of the founding faculty members at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, Mindful Yoga and Meditation Teacher Training, as well as UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center Trainings and the Somatic Yoga Therapy Training in Marin. Um, she has brought mindfulness yoga to, for the first time, to our silent retreats up the hill. And um, having worked here only for about a year, bringing anything new into Spirit Rock is a big feat. Um, there's a lot of faith um, that we have in her abilities. And we're very, very uh, grateful to have her back again and coming back every year to continue moving things forward here slowly and surely. Um, Jill is the founder of uh, Varga. Am I? I'm eating that. Varaga, Vajra Yoga. Thanks. See, yay, and and meditation and synthesis of the Buddhist tradition. Um, she's been named one of the four leading yoga Buddhist teachers in the country by Shambhala Sun Magazine. So you are in for a really special day today. So let me uh, kind of give you an overview of today and this room and what we can offer you. Today, you are more than welcome to bring a beverage and snacks into the room. Uh, we ask you to put a cover and leave a cover on your beverage just to keep spills down. Um, the entire second floor is yours for the day. There is a class going down, going on downstairs in the Great Hall, so, but it's a, um, a small class, so you'll find that there's going to be a lot of room here today. But feel free to use any room that doesn't have a reserve sign on it, so if you need a little break, there's a interview room just behind you that will be available if you need a break. Um, certainly the lobby downstairs will be open for lunch. The patio will be open for lunch. The meadow is stunning right now. Up the hill, things are starting to bloom. There's a path that leads just behind me next to those, um, next to the, oh my God, I'm totally spaced. I'm having a 50. Thank you. The solar panels are so fabulous. There's a trail up there. Um, there's a new trail that hasn't been named yet. You'll see it zigzagging that was made especially by Jack because he loved the wildflowers that were growing there. So there's some new stuff that you can go and check out. I am going to uh, ask you to be mindful not to go past the wooden gates. They are in the second week of the month-long silent retreat. And it's potent up there right now, um, but we are going to honor the fact that they are in silence and not go and visit them. Um, so if you're in the meadow and you get past the sweat lodge structure, just turn around and come back again. Uh, la, 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 la. I should know this by heart. Cell phones. Now's a great time to turn the cell phones off. Completely off and not on vibrate. Um, and if you're leaving your cell phone out in the lobby, turn it off too because we can hear their, your tones all through the building. If you've had trouble hearing anything I've said, we have these awesome assisted hearing devices there on the counter just behind you in the corner. They will sharpen things up, um, as you'll notice that sometimes voices will go in and out, so don't miss anything. On this floor, there are two all-gender restrooms. They are single stall. If you're finding that the lines are too long, downstairs there are multi-stall restrooms next to the bookstore. Please use those. This patio is reserved for you, and you can uh, enter and exit the patio as well down uh, through a little path there. The tea, the snacks, and the bookstore are all run on an old-school honor system, uh, which means you will pay um, 
you pay and we don't we're not keeping track of anything um, so just please pay as you go so if you find a book pay for the book there don't bring it up and then pay for it later it just works better that way and da, 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 bookstore will be open until about 15 minutes after this class ends and uh, you get extra meta points if you help us put away blankets and pillows and trash today at the end of the day the new catalog for the first quarter is out um, it's already um, it's better for you to go online. <laughs> We've changed a whole bunch of times and uh, lots of classes have been added, so please feel free to um, look through that. And if you haven't noticed, we are live streaming Monday Night Meditation. Monday Night Meditation has been going on continuously for 33 years, and now you don't have to come here to catch it. You can pay for it online and then have it for about two weeks afterwards. And so that's been a really great little addition to our uh, systems around here of getting out the Dharma to you. Again, my name is Christina, and uh, if I can do anything for you today, please um, feel free. Oh, I forgot to mention, the other fabulous thing about this room is that um, with this many people, it's going to get hot in here, and there are about 45 of you in here today, so um, I can put on air conditioning, um, and I can open windows. I suggest you don't open these doors and prop them open because critters like to come in. They're curious about what you're doing in here. Um, so just let me know and I will help with temperature. The minute the sun goes over the ridge, it'll get cold in here. So, and that'll be about 3.30, 4 o'clock. So we'll just play with that. Thank Good. you. Thank you, Jill. Welcome back again. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Thank you. Um, I don't know that this is on. Is it? Yes. Okay. I think he's lowered you. okay in the back? No. Need Let's... to turn it up a bit? Okay. Because my voice gets more quiet when we're doing meditation. How's that? Better. Better? Happy. Okay. Okay. And there's also some things back there if you need the boost. Okay. Hi. Welcome. I'm um, always happy to be back here. My bio is a little old, the one that she was... You have to update that. Um, I'm especially happy to be teaching this subject because... Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about this in a bit, but because of how I came to this work um, through mm, some hardship in my body and actually hardship in my mind and heart, came in <clears throat> through the uh, the long more uh, painful route to begin to understand why this kind of, why these kinds of tools and techniques and this, these particular topics I think are so important. Um, I want to welcome all of you that are here who are healthcare providers because this is especially um, relevant to anybody that's not even a healthcare provider but a provider, let's say anybody that's a caregiver in, in any way, shape, or form, which I think all of us are to degrees, um, because we need to be able to reestablish our own homeostasis and nourish and renew. And there are fortunately a lot of tools that can help us to do that. So I'm, I'm um, particularly thrilled about this topic. It's one of my favorites. I'm constantly learning and practicing and experimenting with it. Um, I have someone helping me today, Sharice. She's back in the corner, and she's also the program director of uh, School for Compassionate Action, which is 
uh, nonprofit organization that we're in together, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But if something comes up and you need somebody immediately in the room, Sharif is here. Do you want to be named as a helper? Yeah, Chrissy. Chrissy is here. Um, okay, so what I'd like to do first is have us just land. Um, there might be a person or two coming in as as we um, settle in. So I'm going to shift and sit back here for a moment. I get closer to these guys, I feel a little more settled. So, before we tune in in a way that's a little bit more formal, what I'd like you to do is just see if you can sense just the overall state of your body right now. And you can do this with your eyes opened or your eyes closed. And as you're scanning the landscape of your body, where do you find the breeze of your breath to be the most obvious to you right now. One check into state of body, state of the breath. Initially, before we start our day, because this is something that we can do anytime, anywhere, and it helps us get to know how we're doing. The body and the breath are incredible indicators of the other landscapes that we we imbue or we hold, which are the emotional and mental landscape how our mind is doing, how our heart is doing, are reflected in this overall picture of body and breath. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to try to figure it out. But we can just simply notice. Information will come later after noticing over and over. For the next few minutes, allow your body as much as possible to feel as if it's really meeting the earth. Allow the bones of your body to rest. Allow your body to have as much weight as it needs and wants and has.
especially the areas of your body that are touching the floor, the ground. Imagine that they're actual root systems. They go beneath our floor and right into the earth. Soil, the organic matter from which we came. Relax all the soft tissue that you're aware of. Softening, allowing the the shape of the body to be more informed by bone structure and less by muscle or sinew or any of the tissues of the body. Just allow the bones to hold you and everything soft to just get softer. Inviting a little bit more space inside. Room for things to move. Spread their wings, fly through, land for a moment, fly again, stretch. Yawn, let go. And with a little bit more space, a little bit more groundedness, even if it's just a little bit, see if you notice if your breath has changed at all. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the area that we notice breath shifts around. Sometimes the delicacy of the breath changes. Maybe it started as a little bit more of a wind and now it's just a gentle breeze. You get quite still. Breath takes up less and less space, really. The more we settle, the more the body releases, the more the heart feels comfortable, the more the mind opens to just observe. So of its thinking habit.
Allow there to be a willingness just to let be, just for now. So, now we know where we are. (laughs) A little bit more, yeah? It's good to check in. What's going on in this environment? What environment am I actually in? Where's my body? Oh yeah, here. Not at work, not at home, not in the car. Not next year, not last year. (laughs) Here we are. So um, I want to tell you a little bit about how I'm envisioning the day. Um, Christina mentioned that uh, I've been teaching yoga for a really long time. Actually, I don't really teach it anymore. Bio's a little tiny bit outdated. Um, however, uh, for the last 40-some years, I've been practicing yoga, which has given me a lot of flexibility. Isn't that good news? Now, I mean flexibility in mind, so (laughs) the body changes after a while, but flexibility of mind. So the way I'd like, or I've been envisioning this day, 
I'm saying this as a preface, is really uh, I have an idea of what I'd like us to do. But I also am going to be checking in with you a lot. And so that way it might change a little bit. But what I'm envisioning, what I intend, is um, I'd like to give you an introduction to the topic of this day. You know, what inner awareness is, what... um, emotional intelligence is, what introception is, and then to bring in a couple of more, what I think complementary um, ideas to those main three topics or uh, ways of understanding ourselves or viewing things, perspectives. Um, we're going to be doing you know, a pretty good deal of meditation um, much of it will be guided, some of it will be silence. Um, there will be some didactic exploration, some inner exploration. We'll even do a dyad in the afternoon. Because we have the whole floor, um, we have this extra room over there, and there's going to be a point in which I'm going to suggest a restorative posture for you which will be lying on the ground. And so we'll probably all be able to fit in there, but if not, we can use both rooms, and I'll set you up for that at some point. Um, There'll be a lot of um, time for you to give feedback or what I'd like, you know, I'd like to hear from you. So um, Cherise is going to have a handheld mic, and because this is being recorded, it's really beneficial for whomever might be listening or even you to hear the questions as they come in rather than just the suggestions that I might give. So if you do have a question, please raise your hand and Sharice will bring over the mic. For the past um, 25 close to 30 years, I've been really uh, interested in the healthcare system. My inner healthcare system, your healthcare system, and then our culture's healthcare system. You know, and they vary, don't they? (laughs) And this came about, and the reason that I'm particularly interested in this subject and the other subjects that I present here and around is through direct experience, but this came about from um, an illness that uh, started with me when I was 18 years old. I went through a pretty hefty time of being in chronic pain and and ill. And this was back in the uh, late 70s, started. Um, I didn't know my body that well. I didn't really even care to know my body that well. Uh, I was in art school and, you know, imagination was my key to anything. And, um, you know, I was struck with some pain and that pain continued for 13 years. And, you know, in the meanwhile, I tried to figure it out, tried to get some help. Went from, you know, one doctor to another to sometimes some people that were waving voodoo wands in front of me and asking me to take weird-smelling tinctures and boil up herbs and do all sorts of strange things, which I tried. Um, My illness 
was undiagnosed and misdiagnosed for a really long time. Nobody could figure out what was going on with me. Um, and uh, the the mantra sort of that I heard all the time was, this This is in your mind, this is in your mind. And, you know, so again, we want to flash back to the 70s and early 80s and, you know, um, if it was psychosomatic, it meant that it really wasn't happening, that, that it was my problem, essentially. And um, that was obviously disturbing, and, you know, I was a young person and didn't quite know how to take that, although I, I didn't think it was something that I was making up. I was pretty convinced that it was organic. I had a lot of, I had 12... Uh, exploratory surgeries. I had two, finally two major surgeries. And at the second major surgery, which was upon my insistence after 13 years of going from one place to another and being in pain, um, they did find an organic issue to what would what had been bothering me. And that was that my um, part of my large intestine had pulled away from the wall that holds it down and knotted and twisted and took my appendix up and herniated my diaphragm and was up by my heart. Yeah, that's weird. Now you'll never look at me the same, I know. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> um, so they stitched it back in. Back down. Get down there. But I still had pain after that. No peristalsis, lots of pain. Um... You know, in the meantime, I had been doing some yoga practice, and and not to heal me necessarily, but because I liked it, and because while I was practicing it, usually I felt better. I did have a teacher that made grand prognosis at the time, and she would say, well, if you do this posture for 20 minutes a day, and this pose for 15 minutes a day, and you do these every day, you will be perfectly fine and I wasn't so I was you know the person in the class that was crying in the back of the room what's wrong with me what's wrong with me so I was doing a great deal of practice a lot of practice um, I finally eventually found my way up to Yale Pain Clinic because even though I'd had the surgery and they told me I was going to be alright I was still in pain so I thought well they'll fix me they'll know now, again this is still in the 80's okay? they didn't they didn't have anything to help me except for a nerve block, and it was the area of the nerve block could have uh, paralyzed me, and or you know worst case scenario, and they always give you those, of course, uh, coma. I said no, thank you, and I really made a vow to myself at that moment to figure out, okay, well, if this is all in my mind, the organic issue has apparently been taken care of, right? I still didn't have peristalsis, so that was uh, still a problem. But um, I better start working with this mind that I have that's registering all this discomfort. And so that's when I really, in earnest, started to meditate. And, <coughs> excuse me. Found my way into a Vipassana retreat, a Goenka Vipassana retreat. Heard some rumors about this place called IMS wrote away for a catalog. Remember those? When you wrote, may I please have a catalog? (laughs) Went to a retreat just because I could fit it in. Didn't know who the teacher was. Thought he was an Italian. Turned out to be a British monk named Amaro. 
found a voice I could hear that made sense to me, and he's been my teacher ever since, 29 years now. Uh, and in fact, that's how I, I made it over here, was because I was living in New York at the time. Um, we were the first people to bring m- m- movement on our silent retreat back in the day. So you had a monk and a blonde. It was an interesting combo at Spirit Rock. Like, really? But we did it. So um, anyway, that, that started my meditation in earnest, and I did quite a few. I've done you know, over 100 retreats, 150, something like that. But, so it was kind of the hard way that I had to find out about inner awareness and... Um, I didn't... Is that me? I didn't know... At that time, I'd I'd never heard of introception, but that comes into the territory of inner awareness. And emotional... Danny Goleman hadn't written his book yet. Um, Emotional intelligence wasn't really on the scene yet then either. So, um, you know, meditation, mindfulness... Mindfulness is a subset of meditation, but you know, through the looking at our own mind over and over again, we become a scientist of sorts. You know, watching, observing, testing, trying out, experimenting, watching, observing, testing again, and that's what I've been doing since the early '80s. I was able, I'll tell you a good, the good ending of that story anyway, is that I was able to re-trigger peristalsis through my mind. And um, I, don't, I haven't had pain for 30 years. So I uh, consider myself very fortunate. So I know the power of these practices firsthand. I had yeah, heart surgery a year and a half ago, and then it really showed up then too. Getting, taking care of ourselves, getting to know ourselves, taking care of ourselves um, is an incredible gift that we all can open. And so for today, this is what we're going to be looking at, is how do we get to know ourselves a little bit more? How do we become a little bit more sensitive to this inner landscape that we think we know really well, but, you know, like anything you look at over time, you see more and more in it. Cahill Gobran said, I studied a dewdrop and understood the ocean, something like that. Paraphrasing. And um, Rilke said, uh, you know, we don't have to discover new landscapes, but new eyes, have new eyes. And so... You know, I mean, at every moment, things are shifting and changing and rearranging, arising, passing away. So we know intellectually that that things are changing all the time, but we forget that and we hold a very solid view of ourselves and everything, really. And so if we can um, look within, maybe with a different perspective or widen the aperture, even sometimes narrow the aperture, and traverse lightly and with some new curiosity, maybe a new eye or new eyes, um, 
it only helps to enhance our understanding and maybe hopefully even appreciation of ourselves so that in the moment we have more to go on and we can work with what comes up as it comes up rather than having to wait till later although we'll do some things that we can do later when when those things when those times happen let's say Checking into the body and the breath, I think, can be one of our most important tools. And so we started by noticing where the breath was being felt. So you know that breath can be in a lot of areas of the body, right? And um, it's not always going to be in the same place. And it's not always going to be the same rhythm and the same texture and the same just vo- uh, volume or um, even temperature. You know, a, lot, a lot of things change in the breath all the time. And, and breath is, is one of our greatest indicators of, of mind and heart. It, it, will really, it really reflects what's going on inside. And so we're going to keep checking back and see what we notice shifts and changes over the day so that that'll be something that, you know, you'll, um, if you don't already have this as a tool, you'll be able to use. Just how am I? And the body does the same thing. You know, the body is, is a thermometer in a sense. It is a gauge. And we'll check into the body too. I think that's me. Um, because my my intention for all of us today is to either through what I'm going to offer or what you'll offer to the room is to go away with some new skills and and hopefully um, eyes that can see a little more clearly inside because that's really what inner awareness is it's just awareness of the internal landscape and it it might look dark in there when you first close your eyes, but there can be incredible color. There can be uh, a lot of shape and form. And we so we learn to see what's going on, see in quotes what's going on internally through a different kind of eyes. So we'll explore that. So before I go too much further, what I'd like to do is just uh, popcorn style, just to hear from a couple of you why this uh, topic was interesting, why you're here. If if you came just to get CEs, you don't really need to say that out loud. (laughs) Just kidding, you can say that too. Sometimes I know um, it's, well, this day worked in my schedule. That's cool. I get it. So... um, Anybody like to volunteer just so we can get a, a sense of, of who we are here? I can get a sense of why you came too. So if you, Sharice uh, will come over with the, Thank oh, you. then we have someone up here too. Shall I stand? No, you don't have to okay. unless you like. It's okay. My name is Jennifer and I am a former emergency room nurse for mm, 20 something years. 
and I since retired, and now I own a yoga studio, actually. And I'm oh. forever looking for ways to kind of cultivate within my students self-awareness mm-hmm. so that they can create their own health and wellness yeah. as opposed to looking from the external nice. perspective. So thank you very much. I'm very excited. Great. Thank you. Um, it was up here in the corner. Hello, I'm Amanda. Um, I'm here. I'm doing the yoga yoga teacher training that they're offering um, starting to it's tomorrow, but I wanted to come up early and take advantage of everything that Spirit Rock has to offer and saw this class and thought it would be perfect. So really glad to be here and glad it was offered today. Excellent. Hi, I'm Pat, and um, it seems like a lot of things in the world are spinning out of control, uh, and in my private world as well. And uh, I realized that uh, I was no longer aware of where I was in the midst of all of it. I was spun out with it. And um, my therapist said, you need to do something to calm your central nervous system. And uh, I realized that I didn't even know where that was. Uh, so I'm here to find, uh, you know, my insides uh, in the midst of this whirlwind of insanity that we find ourselves in. Thank Great. you. Anybody else? Uh, a couple months ago, I was just uh, a little emotionally distraught, and so one of the things I go to is what kind of meditation course could I do to help me out? So uh, I looked on the catalog, looked on site and found this course. Um, that's it. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> that's good. There's somebody up here. One more. So I'm grateful to be here. This is my first time, and I find myself here because I um, desire it from a personal level and a professional level. I have three teenagers, need I say more, (laughs) and um, really always open and desiring more personal inward awareness and mindfulness in my life um, to improve my relationships and to deal with my teenagers. And then on a professional level... um, my life of mindfulness and living more intentionally started with yoga. And then eventually I became a teacher, which allowed me to begin to practice the, the practice and not just do it. And um, I found, um, I found um, myself going on retreats, and now I want to be a beacon of light. Of I have been offering retreats for about three or four years and really want to help encourage and support women and, other, and others to um, take care of themselves by learning to take to to learn what inner awareness and um, how it affects our lives and our well being. Great. Okay. Thank you. One more? Two more? Three more. Yeah, go ahead. Um my name is Jane Ann and um, I'm a retired certified nurse midwife 
and I've been doing trainings um, in groups of women and healthcare pro- healthcare providers in um, how to em- empower women basically do group healthcare. And um, I've been dealing with chronic pain for probably 40 years. And as a midwife, I learned skills to override whatever was going on in my body and got really good at that, just to keep going, keep going. And now that I'm um, retired and have the time, I'm just trying to put together these skills and realize that it's one thing to teach it and another thing to really integrate it in my own body, in my own mind, and do it. So that's that's a real Hallelujah. learning it process sure is. <laughs> for me that's to great. really get diligent about it and learn how to do it in my own practice. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> One more. You had somebody in the back. Let's take this as our last... I'm Frances. I am a social worker. I'm mainly working with uh, family members, uh, family caregivers, taking care of elderly uh, parents or um, spouse. So I thought I definitely can learn something today to share. And also I live in Marin County all these years. I never make it up here, so I thought i got to take a class here. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. It's funny how something can be right next door. Yeah. Like... Everything's right here, wherever we are. <laughs> we forget to look. Great. Thank you. It is one thing to um, read or study. Uh, it's another thing to live it, you know. So I'm I'm really great advocate of practicality, accessibility, usability, um, you know, making uh, these ancient, amazing ancient practices available. Because um, then we'll, we'll do them. So, uh, yeah, my, my primary goal is to have you absorb some of this for yourself. My secondary goal is, yes, if you can pass it on, that's excellent. But we need to get this for ourselves first, you know. That's what the that's what it takes a little time, but you know the, we're all here. That's what we're doing. So, um, are 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 a lot of you familiar with introception? The the term introception. Okay, I'm going to start with that because I think more of us are more uh, knowledgeable or have at least heard of emotional intelligence. Anyhow, some things get buzzed more than others. So, um, interoception in in more of the scientific mm, medical view, let's say medical physical view, um, is knowing what's going on internally. So we have proprioception and, you know, ways of knowing what we're doing on the outside, what our body is doing, where we are in space. But, and as you said, you know, right, sometimes we don't know what's going on internally. So we're walking around, you know, we're doing our thing, and we don't really feel 
what I was trying to guide you through a little bit in the beginning was this internal landscape. We know we're just not that in touch because it's actually usually more interesting what's in front of us, you know, what, what's engaging us, what's pulling us forward. So introception is um, is more of the scientific term for inner awareness. Now, inner awareness has been being practiced by contemplative traditions for thousands and thousands of years. Um, I'll tell you a definition of interception that I found pretty good. This is from um, the Frontiers in Psychology magazine. Uh, Interoception is an umbrella term for the phenomenological experience of the body state, an experience which is ultimately a product of the central nervous system, regardless of what information the brain uses and does not use to construct this experience. Let me read that again. Interoception is an umbrella term for the phenomenological experience of the body state, an experience which is ultimately a product of the central nervous system, regardless of what information the brain uses and does not use to construct this experience. From a place called the Lab of Action and Body. I love that. Lab of Action and Body. It's in Royal Holloway at the University of London. They say, awareness of one's body is ultimately linked to self-identity. The sense of being, in quotes, me. A key question is how the brain integrates different sensorial signals from the body to produce the experience of this body as mine, known as a sense of body ownership. I would depart from that a little bit with inner awareness, but I think that these two descriptions are pretty good. Some of them get quite technical, like the Webster's, um, and I didn't bring it, but the Webster's dictionary definition I think is so dry that it's not even really that applicable. So when we're internally aware, or let's say to get internally aware, there's lots of different ways that we can become internally aware. Some of us are a little bit more naturally internally aware than others. You know, it's not a big deal, really, because it can be learned. Um, we're, we're sensing what's going on inside of us as we're just doing anything. So... Right now, without closing your eyes, try this. Just see if you can even sense any tension in your body. Right? Okay. Now, can you sense where your breath is right now without... I mean, if you need to close your eyes, it's okay. But if you can do it with your eyes opened, it's a, you know, it heightens your skill. Can you feel where your breath is? Some of us can feel our heartbeat. Can you feel your heartbeat? Not everybody can. So these are all indicators of being internally aware or having interoception. Now it can get a little deeper. The internal awareness can really get tapped into through different um, yogic arts like meditation, like mindfulness, some forms of yoga, tai chi, qigong, you know, the martial arts. And even I would say walking in the woods 
or being in nature, sitting by a pond or a lake. We can be, have a heightened experience of what's going on internally. Yeah? So there's different ways that we um, can learn our, as practices. They don't always require a cushion or a chair. And we can be doing them seated, standing, walking, and lying down, which, is the, which are the four postures that the Buddha taught were suitable for meditation. So to be internally aware is just feeling and sensing what's happening inside as we're having a conversation with someone. When we're sitting in silence. It's a little easier when we're sitting in silence, sometimes. But sometimes when we're sitting in silence, our mind is so loud, either with conversation, um, fantasy, nonsense, planning, memories, remembering, that we don't hear or actually notice what's going on below the neck. You know, we can really keep ourselves quite absorbed, can't we? Even with the eyes closed, sitting still. (laughs) But eventually when the mind starts to quiet down and our intention is to come back and and really see things as, as they are without grabbing the thoughts or the feelings necessarily, over time the clouds lift and we can kind of see the the sky or the ground, whatever you want to think of it as. And we start to sense, wow, there's a little tension over here or, oh, I'm getting butterflies or hmm, my breath is a little quicker or my heart's beating a little bit more or I'm holding my breath. Or we even start to notice, like when we're having a conversation with someone else, that we're having a conversation about the conversation that we're having with someone else in here, inside. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Like somebody will be talking, 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 and you're like, oh, I wish they would shut up. Oh, right, that reminds me of the time. And we don't say that. The mouth's like, mm. But there's a running dialogue and commentary on everything, including sometimes at the same time that we're saying something. You might be saying, oh, yeah, that's nice. And inside you're going, no, it's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we're, we're pretty good at multitasking that way. I like to find the humor in that. <laughs> so the, the dialogue, is, is there's nothing wrong with that dialogue. In fact, it's a perspective. But um, let's just suffice it to say that we can be observant of, uh, cognizant of, and recognize how we're feeling Uh, sensorially, emotionally, and what's going on mentally as we go about our day. That's inner awareness. That's interoception. No, I think that the reason that, you know, we we don't hear inner awareness is because it's from the contemplative arts and sciences like meditation. So it's not as widespread. But what is meditation? What is mindfulness? It's a turning in. For periods of time. Even if it's just for brief moments, you know, it depends on our how much we've meditated and you know how many years, let's say. But uh it's a turning in and looking over and over and over again. And that's why 
it's a science. You know, you start to really see how your mind works, how your body is, how your heart is. If you observe it over time, observe them over time, observe yourself over time, it becomes known. Whatever we continue to look at becomes known. Still mysteries in it, but becomes more known. So that's what inner awareness and interoception are, is a turning in and knowing. But it's also a being able to turn in and turn out at the same time and know, and know. And that's the skill I want to try to share with you today. So that when you are reading or you are having a conversation or you're watching television or you're in an extreme situation that you need to think quickly, that you can be there not only for someone else but for yourself. And that's one of the greatest assets of, of inner awareness and interoception is that you can be in the world whatever is called for and you're also right here for yourself. Again, this is a developed skill. Any questions or thoughts about that? So let's move to emotional intelligence, EI for short. Um, So I have a quote here from Danny Goleman. He said, I use the phrase EI to synthesize a broad range of scientific findings, drawing together what had been separate strands of research, reviewing not only their theory, but a wide variety of other exciting scientific developments, such as the fruit of the nascent field of effective neuroscience, which explores how emotions are regulated in the brain. You know, in the beginning, I think the the this, the scientists that were testing the the monks and rinpoches and lamas, um, you know, I, I don't think they quite knew what they were getting into. So I, I know a couple of them, and I know one of the lamas that was tested, the rinpoches. And but what what's been revealed is how important emotions are, and how important you know thoughts and emotions are, and regulating breath. All of it. So the more we study the brain, the more we see we don't really understand the mind. But that there are, through um, meditation practices especially, and interoception practices, that we can control the landscape of the mind, that we can regulate our um, emotions. And I would venture to say we're regulating regulating. Our, our hormonal status as well, uh, to a great degree. I know that there, that, you know, I, I reignited peristalsis, which is part of the autonomic nervous system, where you're not, you're not supposed to be able to do something like that. But, you know, yogis know that you can. You can regulate breath, heartbeat, and then I found out through years of practice that I could regulate Parasolsis as well. So, um, the fact that, that this is now, you know, that we want to know more, like how does this happen and what can we do and what are the results is, is great. So then I, I found a quote from Forbes magazine because as I'm, you know, I always try to find, well, what are people saying about the topic that I'm about to um, 
present. And uh, so Forbes magazine, there's a lot of emotional intelligence being used, I'm sure you know, for um, leadership, for businesses. Um, Forbes magazine's quote is, emotional intelligence requires effective communication between the rational and emotional centers of the brain. Right? Now, that's what inner awareness and interoception does too. So we want to know what the rational and the emotional, I wouldn't know that, put it as centers because in my mind and through my experience, if you're a contemplative, they're all over the place. There's no one center to these things. But um, we want to know what's going on emotionally and uh, where does wisdom need to come in and when to say to the limbic system, yeah, I hear you, but no, I'm not going to listen right now. Thanks very much for the input. You know, where we go, when we go to the executive brain and say, okay, take control, will you please? That kind of thing. So we're, through meditation and mindfulness, we do, we are in touch with our mental and emotional, I like to call them landscapes because they're quite broad, but, um, and our physical landscape at all times so that we can actually, you know, suggest to one, hey, why don't you slow down for a second and, or why don't you take charge right now, you know, so that we're more in, in control. So I thought that was an interesting uh, quote. And then in Psychology Today, they said, um, emotional intelligence is the ability to identify and manage your own emotions and the emotions of others. That could go many ways, couldn't it? (laughs) We're going to look at the positive side of that. It is generally said to include three skills. Emotional awareness... The ability to harness emotions and apply them to tasks like thinking and problem solving. And the ability to manage emotions, which includes regulating your own emotions and cheering up or calming down other people. Now those are skills that, you know, are really handy because whether we're a caregiver or a partner to somebody or just at our jobs, you know, no matter what we do, we want to be able to help people out. And we also want to help ourselves. So I'd like to throw um, another uh, philosophical, um, or let's say another perspective in this mix today. And that is, and it was mentioned in one of these quotes, that's um, phenomenology. Are you familiar with phenomenology? I think meditation is a phenomenological research, is, is a phenomenological discovery or path. So this is from um, Stanford's um, psychology, no, Stanford's phil- phil- philosophy um, encyclopedia. Phenomenal, try that again. <laughs> Phenomenology as a discipline is distinct but related to other key disciplines in philosophy such as ontology, epistemology, logic, and ethics. Phenomenology has been practiced in various guises for centuries, but it came into its own in the early 20th century in the works of Herschel, Heidegger, Sartre, Merleau-Ponty, and others. 
phenomenological issues of intentionality, consciousness, and first-person perspective have been prominent in recent philosophy of mind. So phenomenology is the study of things through our own direct experience. Now, this gets, I think, kind of interesting when, we medit- when we've meditated for a little bit of a longer period of time or we've been practicing mindfulness a little bit longer because, we, yes, we want to be aware of things as we're noticing them you know, through our own direct experience. But simultaneously, or let's say concurrently and sometimes separately, we want to be able to unweave what is from how we think and feel about it. So our direct experience of things, at least in the beginning of being a meditator or contemplative or mindfulness practitioner, is I understand it, this is like, this is my understanding. Eventually, we arrive at an understanding or the understanding. And that's of the way things are. Not how we want them to be, not how we hope they are, not how we wish they were, not how they used to be, and not how they will be in the future, but the way things are right now. And this comes with time. This is, comes through, again, direct experience and the development, the cultivation of wisdom that, that um, is, blossoms from direct experience. But we want to be able to know, okay, well, this is my experience and this is the experience. Very difficult to tease that apart sometimes. Very difficult. So phenomenology is more of a perspective from our own view. And that's different than seeing things as they are sometimes. Okay? Not always, but sometimes. I just want to throw that out. There's a great um, book called The Poetics of Space. Have any of you ever read that? By uh, philosopher Gaston Bachelard. And um, we had to read that book in art school, believe it or not. And, And... it's the study of our inner home or how we hold space. So he talks about our house, uh, that early introduction put me on a, um, a quest to discover my body as a house. I have been teaching that as a program for 35 years. But our house, what nests are like, what different kinds of nooks and crannies in our mind hold phenomenologically how we live in various areas of our mind or our, um, our visual spaces or even our physical spaces. It's a pretty interesting book and quite poetic. So we have now, this is sort of the groundwork for our exploration. Yeah, I'm going to throw in one more little tidbit. I think it's kind of juicy. Um, have you heard of eudomics? So eudomics is, uh, eudaimonic is actually starting to get tossed around in contemplative circles a little bit more. I was just teaching, uh, speaking at a conference on chronic pain, and 
one of the other presenters brought in eudomics and um, eudonomics and um, phenomenology. Phenomenology. So we obviously really headed off like, oh wow, you know about that too. So uh, eudomics is is was um, brought into the world through Aristotle and, and through his ethical system. Um, and this is a this is again from Stanford's Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Um, in order to understand, in order to apply a general understanding in particular cases, talk about different things. We must acquire through proper upbringing and habits. Uh, you know, this is a little stiff. Through proper upbringing and habits. I mean, who, what's proper? I don't know. The ability to see on each occasion which course of action is best supported by reasons. Again, we're coming from, you know, um, an encyclopedia of philosophy. But we're going to get just sort of the general gist of this. Because it's the best I've found so far. Um, Therefore, practical wisdom, as he conceives it, they're talking about Aristotle, uh, cannot be acquired solely by learning general rules. We must also acquire through practice those deliberate emotional and social skills that enable us to put our general understanding of well-being into practice in ways that are suitable to each occasion. That, I think, is, strikes a chord, at least for me. Now, my teacher, uh, who I mentioned, Ajahn Amaro, who's amazing, some of you may know him because he used to be the co-abbot of Abayagiri up here in um, Mendocino. He left to go to London. He ruined my retirement plans. Now I have to go there all the time. But um, <laughs> he recently, we were just teaching together in London and a few months ago, and, and he said his practice now, and this has probably been for a little while, probably since you know uh, he took over Amravati over there. It's a big monastery, a very big, large monastery. His practice is in relationships. And that really meditation and mindfulness is all about relationship. It's all about context. It's contextual. How we are at any given moment should be based on context. Not maybe how we are deep inside because we can carry some equanimity and some grace and ease and openness and kindness. But the way that we act and, and how we are in our outer life is contextual, right? Some circumstances need this, some circumstances need that, etc. Actually, internally, too. So the best practice, I think, is one that checks in with ourselves to begin with. We notice how we're doing, and then, depending on what we find, we apply skillful means to support where we are to support more healthy uh, behavior, more skillful choices, etc. So all of those definitions and points of view, perspectives, and philosophies, I think, bring us to what we're going to do today. And you can walk in through any of the doors, doesn't matter. They all point towards the same thing, which is, let's know how we are And from knowing how we are at any given moment, let's have some tools, some accessible skills, some things that we can do on the spot to work with what we recognize, to work with what we feel, 
to work with what is in front of us in life. Because, you know, we can't, everybody is old enough to know this in this room, we cannot control what's brought to us in life. What we can control is our response. We lose control sometimes and we react. But we can get back in balance and respond. And that, to me, is the essence of a great practice when the rubber hits the road. So, how can we check in? Uh, Let's stand up and stretch for a second, then I'm going to talk you through a little more meditation. Take a seat. Is this back? Yeah, okay. Um, Before you do anything too formal, let's keep practicing this, noticing how we are at any given moment. So the seat that you've taken... Don't change it, I was going to say. You know how... you're, You're a little cash right now, right? Normal? Not like holding on to some posture. Just notice your state of body. Now, again, if you can do this without closing your eyes, that's great. If you need to close your eyes and then open your eyes, that's fine too. But, you know, in, in moments in life when we need to self-regulate or take care or have a sense of what's going on internally, we don't always have the luxury of sitting down and closing our eyes or even standing and closing our eyes. So the more we can get used to checking in with our eyes opened, the more you'll be able to use that at any time. So just play around with it. But really, if you do need to close your eyes in here, it's fine. So you feel your body. Can you feel your feet? Can you feel your shoulders? You can notice your breath, probably. So we have a general lay of the land, let's say. 
Now, if you'd like to, we're gonna, I'm going to talk you through a little meditation that I called checking in. If you'd like to close your eyes for that, that's fine. Now, some of us don't, may not be comfortable closing our eyes in a room full of people. That's fine. And then, if that's the case, or you, maybe you learned medita- meditation through the Tibetan tradition or the Zen tradition where the eyes are open, that's fine. Um, we can cast our gaze, a very light, soft eye gaze, towards the floor about four or five feet in front of us and let your eyelids completely relax. But do whatever works for you, either fully closing your eyes or casting your gaze softly down. If you're casting your gaze down, um, it's not a staring, but it's an open, soft gaze. Start by noticing where we are, where the body is in the physical plane. One of the first things that we can notice when we check in is the sounds in the room and outside the room. They're just sounds all around us. And sometimes we can even notice sounds from inside of our body. But take a moment and just listen. Without having to figure out what the sound is or where it's coming from. What it might mean when it might begin again or end. But see if you can hear sound just as pure resonance or vibration. Notice that sounds come and go. Like every other conditioned phenomenon. Next, let's notice our sense of sight. Whether your eyes are opened or closed, there's light coming in through the eyelids if your eyes are closed. Through the actual eye if your eyes are somewhat open. Get a sense of light. Sometimes we even see shape or color with eyes closed, definitely with eyes open. But we receive information through our sense of sight, just like we receive information about where we are 
through our sense of sound or hearing. Whatever we notice that's coming in through our eyes, sense of sight, is particular to where we are right now. Just as the sounds are particular to our room, our bodies in the room, and then the things outside of the room. Sight is the same. It's particular to the ambient light, time of day, place on the planet. And we can notice sight just as we did sound without really having to know what something means. Who started it? We like it or we don't like it. And just receive sight. White, color, shape, form, created. Also notice our sense of smell. Whatever we pick up as far as scent could be coming from the room or the things in the room, the room itself or the things in the room or our clothes, the plants, trees outside. can discern a scent or a smell, we don't really need to know what's causing it. There's no need to like or dislike it. We can just notice our sense of smell, particular to where we are right now. Then we have our sense of taste. You may not pick up on much right now, but if you focus in on your mouth and the tongue, you might sense a particular taste. And again, whatever it is that you might notice is happening right this moment. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. easier to practice when you're eating food, but usually there's a lingering taste in our mouth. So we can notice our sense of taste or taste 
as another reflection of the present moment. This is what is right now. Without having to like it or dislike it or even know what caused it. Just noticing. Just sensing. We have our sense of touch, and that's a sensation. And one of the first things we can notice about where we are, anywhere we are, but where we are right now, is temperature. So temperature on your skin. You can even sense the difference in temperature between the area of your body where skin is exposed and the areas of your body that are covered with clothing. You can sense lightness or heaviness or softness or hardness in your body. This is all the sense of touch or sensation. And whatever you notice in your body is happening just right now. The body doesn't exist in the future and it's no longer in the past. So sensations are an indication of what is happening in this moment. A lot of it has to do with our environment. Not all of it, but a lot. So as you notice or feel your sensations, see if you can just notice them as pure sensation, not having to like them or dislike them. Figure out why they're happening, but just feeling them. as you're noticing sensations, you're noticing your breath. Breath is a culmination of sensations, isn't it? Sensations all mixed under the umbrella of breath, or a breath. There's temperature, volume, location. Notice about your breath. The last of our sense doors is the mind. And we can 
over time. Notice what's coming and going in the mind, just like we did sound, sight, smell, touch, without having to know what, what thoughts mean, where they come from, what they're going to turn into. But we can just notice the thoughts that are going through the mind right now. As if our mind were as clear and bright as the sky. And that the thoughts that we notice are just like clouds. Birds that fly through the space. They're transient. They're just happening. They don't have to mean anything. Real. Notice them. That's what's going on in the mind right now without holding on to any of it. Allow your breath now to be just a little bit deeper. Very soft, but a tiny bit deeper. Take a couple of longer, slower breaths in and out. Then, after a complete exhale, when you're ready, allow your eyes to lift or open again. To give you a little um, context to that, that was about 15 minutes. I call that just checking in. And it's something that's really valuable to do at least once a day. And it could even be for a shorter period of time. But we get a sense of where we are and what's going on. We got a sense of where we are and what's going on without having to have an opinion or a judgment or an analysis or a conclusion about any of it. 
And that's different than normally how we go about our day. Or what we do with input. Generally, what comes in through our sense doors comes in and immediately hits some coloration. Mine. (laughs) And that's the phenomenological experience. But we can train ourselves to see things more and more as they are and just notice to be what sometimes um, I had a Tibetan teacher that would say, you want to be a spy in the corner of the room. And I love that image. So the spy in the corner of the room doesn't want you to know that it's there, but boy, is it paying attention. And that's our observant aspect. That's our observer. That's the witness. That's the seer. That's the knower. Lots of words around that because it's fairly ineffable. But if we imagined ourselves to be the spy in the corner of the room, what would we notice? We'd, we'd hear sounds. The spy in the corner of this room up here in the head. Uh, we hear sounds. We'd um, have input through our eyesight. Smell through the nose. Touch, because that's through skin and, and other various parts of the body. Um, taste through the tongue and then the mind and we can begin to and this is part of the practice of mindfulness it's mindfulness of sound mindfulness of sight mindfulness of taste eating let's say we use generally use it that way um, mindfulness of sensation mindfulness of mind It's all the practice of mindfulness. When we're mindful, we're noticing things as they are, not as we want them to be, as we hope they'll become, as they used to be, you know, a few seconds ago or last year or whatever, but how they are right now. That's a mindful practice. practice. And hopefully, you know, the intention is to be mindful and kind at the same time. Ajahn Brahm, have you heard of Ajahn Brahm? He's this great... Uh, monk from Australia, he says, well, forget about mindfulness, be kindful. Kindfulness. And that's because for a a period of time, mindfulness became a little clinical, a little bit harsh. So people are bringing back, thank goodness, the kindly aspect of mindfulness, which is, can you notice how things are with an open heart or an open view You know, not a tight view, not a got to know this right now or, you know, to become a sharpshooter or better at the ticker tape. But to notice things as they are, as they're being presented. So that was a basic mindfulness practice so that we get established at least from time to time in what's, what's here, what's now, what's actually occurring and draw ourselves out of what can sometimes be a tumultuous, tumultuous, tumultuous uh, mental landscape or emotional landscape, is to be, to be able to touch in to our senses 
can be a very grounding and very sane practice. Yeah? And then we also notice, well, this is where I am in the mix, because along with that information comes how we feel about it a lot of times, and that's okay. We're not trying to negate ourselves here. We do have a self. But we want to be able to put that in context. Sometimes we really want to know, well, how do I feel? And sometimes we really need to know, how is it? I think they they can live together simultaneously. They can coexist perfectly well all the time. And these are just different perspectives that we can concurrently hold and know, get to know. So even if it's just for a couple of minutes, let's say, when you need it, check in. What am I hearing? What am I seeing? Is there a smell or a scent I can pick up on? What am I tasting? What am I feeling in my body? What's going through my mind? Just check it. Check in. And it can stop a spin and steady us just for a short period of time. And sometimes that's all we need. Just a tiny little slow down here. Pause. Let's get back in balance. And then there's the breath in the mix, okay? So I brought that in as part of sensation. It is part of sensation. So usually mindfulness of the breath and sensation go, to the, go to, uh, together. Or they do, not even usually. And breath is a culmination of sensations. And breath we can look at in a, in a number of ways. One of which I'd like to posit right now, and then we'll work with it, is and I did this earlier, I mentioned this earlier, is that breath is also a reflection of heart and mind. So what happens to your breath, for instance, when you're afraid? You know, common example. Yeah, it gets held or it goes high. What about when you're sad or depressed? What about when you're angry? What about if you're anxious? So the yogic arts, you know, especially uh, yoga, hatha yoga, teaches uh, breath regulation as a very integral part of practice. It's called pranayama. And we're going to do a little of that. Because if you can control your breath, you control your mind. And I don't mean control with a tight iron fist. But when you need to calm yourself down or come back to balance or refine your sanity... Or come even back to the room. I mean, it's great. It can be a great tool for, you know, disassociation even, or spacing out. It doesn't have to be as strong as disassociation. Breath is a, is a phenomenal tool and skill. So we want to notice breath as it is naturally, and then we also want to be able to work with breath as a skillful means. So, you know, there are techniques and there's skillful means. And skillful means is this wide, wide basket, let's say, of tools. It's, um, it's really broad and it can get quite, quite creative. So we're going to look at a lot of skillful means because skillful means are picked up depending on what we need at any given moment.
That's why I like them especially. Because they can be very practical and hopefully extremely accessible. Now, a skillful means might not be, I'm going to sort of make an example, you know, like a humorous example. Let's say you're a long-time meditator, you're practicing mindfulness, and, you know, there's um, a lot of turmoil going on around you, and you know you need to calm down. You feel like, oh, dear, I'm getting worked up one way or another. You can't just say, okay, stop, time, You know, breathing, alternate, also breath with the thumb. And I mean, you could, but you know, your your um, believability would go out the window. You know, Um, I don't think anybody would use that as a very good example. But we can do that without all the theatrics and without the outward signs that that's what we're doing. Again, I'm you know, I was making fun, but. We can find ways, this is what a skillful means is all about, is to pick up a tool, pick up a, something that will help us to bring us back to our basic sanity, to come back to the body, come back to the room, come back to the person, come back to ourselves. And breath is a really good way to do it. So breath and body, you know, either door. I'm having such a difficult time with this little earpiece. Um, let's experiment a little bit with both of them. So we started this morning by noticing where the breath was in the body. Where is it now? Can you sense it? Is it in the same place as you noticed a couple hours earlier, or has it changed? And you feel your breath with your eyes opened. You can start elongating your breath, but what I'd like you to try to do is, as you elongate your breath, don't make it harsh. Heck. So just make... Oops. If you can get your breath to be just a little longer and slower without forcing it. A little longer and slower without a big-handed effort. Without big-handed effort. Imagine that your breath is, is like wind or breeze. Imagine it's not a gale force. It's just a very sweet little gentle breeze. Just drifting in and blowing out of your body. You want to elongate that breeze. Or imagine that your breath is just a bunch of bubbles. So delicate, so soft. So you're breathing in all these bubbles. And if your body is tight at all, You'll pop the bubbles. (laughs) Skillful meat. (laughs) 
Little bubbles, breeze. You can even imagine that your breath has a color or a light to it. And so that as you're breathing in, that light, that color is being absorbed in your body. So just for a moment, either eyes opened or eyes closed, or if you have another um, visual expression that you'd like to use, please do. So it can be through breeze, which is more feeling, wind, breeze, bubbles, color, light. And just begin to expand your breath very delicately. Moves up and down, of course, in and out. But it can also expand in volume. So front to back, side to side, just real softly. So you're very gently using your diaphragm to push the ribs out, let the ribs fall back towards each other. Really softly, without any sound, only you know. And it's like a tickle that goes on inside the breath can be that delicate. Feathers, feather duster. Now, after you've inhaled, pause for a moment. And hold the breath in, again, like the bubbles or the breeze. Something soft, a light or color. Pause and then exhale, let it go out. Very softly. And after you've just exhaled, pause for a moment, a moment and notice the empty quality, the space, the not doing, the pause that occurs after the exhalation. So what I'd like you to just play with just for a minute is there are four parts of breath. See if you can play around with them. Sometimes we just notice them, but right now we're playing around. Have a little fun. Notice the inhale. You can visualize with it. Notice the tiny little pause after the inhale. Let the breath be absorbed. Notice the exhale and how that feels. And then notice the little pause after the exhale when the body's very quiet and at rest, like a little empty space. And then again, the inhale, the pregnant or full pause, the exhale, and then the empty pause. These four different feelings of breath that often we kind of lump together, we skip over, we're bored with can be very interesting with or without a visualization with or without any kind of coaxing but just to notice how breath actually is right now and elongating it or how it can be let's say by elongating it what we're doing is we're regulating and calming our central nervous system. We're focusing our attention just on the breath. The room doesn't need to disappear. Our bodies don't need to disappear. 
But what comes into the foreground is as if we're tuning the uh, <coughs> aperture of a camera. The foreground is just this breath and that we're elongating it. And we're noticing the pauses, the four parts. Everything else is still there. It's just more back, dropped into the background. Long, slow, delicate inhale. A little bit of a pause. Long, slow, sweet exhale. And then another little pause. And all four parts of the breath have distinct qualities. They feel differently. Give your breath now as a chance to start over, as a chance to renew and refresh hit the refresh button or the restart. The next breath in that you take, allow it to signify that in whatever way you want. But starting again, another opportunity, a waking up, paying attention, a new intention. Every single breath in is a way to begin again, as long as we pay attention and use the intention. Every single inhale can be like that. Find our balance again. Remember our basic goodness, our sanity. Start over. Now use your exhale as a way to let go. So every time you exhale for the next minute, let go of something that doesn't serve you, that you no longer need, something that's been bothering you, whatever it is. It's personal. Nobody needs to know. But let whatever it is, physical, emotional, mental, just flow out through your breath and dissolve in the atmosphere in front of you. Breathing out and letting go. It could be something in general, it can be something specific. But just breathe out and let it go. And we let go to begin again. So then the breath in is renewal, but the breath out is letting go. Longer, sweeter breath. Very, very softly manipulated. Very, very, very lightly and gently controlled. Not with a hard hand or too much effort. Sweet, soft, delicate wind breath. With intention, with attention, with care. 
with meaning. Just for now. Slowly, slowly, after your next exhale, allow your eyes to open and do a couple more breaths. Same intention, same quality. Cast your gaze down if that's helpful. Your eyes don't have to be fully wide open, just a little bit. And just do a couple more of these sweeping breaths, noticing the inhale. Noticing the pause after the inhale. And the exhale. And noticing the pause after the exhale. Just a couple breaths. Now allow your eyes to open a little bit more. And as your eyes are opening, yeah, we're taking in a little bit more visual input. You can sense that. See if you can keep your eyes really soft and relaxed. All the muscles around your eyes, soft and relaxed. Even your whole face. And very softly just look around and allow your eyes to receive more outer input. So you take in color and texture and shape and form. And you're looking without having to figure out, oh, this means that or I like that. Just take in the visual input. Allow your eyes to just receive Receive, but not rush forward into. Receive, like, hmm, interesting. And as you're looking around, you can still be aware of your breath, or you can feel that you're breathing. And as you're looking around, you can still know where you are. At rock, sitting in a room. So these are ways that we can look within. Utilize breath as a skillful means and start again.
We use it's, it's the the way that we just experienced that was with some imagination or visualization. You know, if that worked for you, if visualization or the imagination isn't your a number one talent, then just feeling like wind or breeze, just sensing the breath is good. But drawing out a little bit more of the teasing apart, let's say the actual um, feeling of breath, which is that it, it isn't just in and out or up and down. We think that might be the case, but it's, it's actually, it can be fairly interesting, especially if you notice the four parts. And when we start to notice the four parts, guess what happens to the breath? We were trying to slow it down, but it slows down even more. And the slower the breath, the more relaxed is uh, central nervous system becomes. So even just elongating the breath just very gently, very, very tenderly, very softly, it doesn't have to be in what some of us have learned as uh, an ujjayi breath or a long, you know, a bigger yogic breath. It's not like that. But it's just increasing the capacity a tiny, tiny little bit, slowing it down just a little bit, and noticing what's involved in one breath. There's the inhale and the sensations. There's the pause. Body is full for a moment. Breath turns around. There's an exhale. It feels like this. There's a little bit of a pause. Before it turns around, that pause is like still or empty. Turns around again. We can just notice those four distinct parts, slowing it down or even allowing it to just be natural. You can notice those four points or four parts. But we can also, if we want to, overlay um, a visualization or some sort of an intention. So the intention was renewal, regeneration with an in-breath, starting over. Because really that's the truth. We can start over anytime we remember that we can. (laughs) that's the good news now other people around us may not remember that they hold us in a fixed space but we can remember that it's good for ourselves, very generous and that the exhale can be a letting go let go breathe it out this is traditional too In, in many different traditions use the breath in similar ways if not the same And everybody puts a little bit of their own take on it. You can put your own take on it. Utilize the breath as a skillful means. Whenever you want and however you want. It's very, very personal. Very skillful, very compassionate, very kind for you to use your breath in some way like that. You're taking care of yourself. That's self-regulation. You're calming your nervous system. You're working with what's ever going on mentally or emotionally or physically or all of the, the beautiful facets that we have. So There's the noticing of the breath There's the slowing it down, elongating it, eyes opened or closed, 
great skill to have be able to do both, either or. There's the overlay of intention, letting go, starting over, whatever that is for you. You can make up, make it up. And maybe even a visualization, contextualization, like bubbles or color or light or something like that. So those are the skillful means that we just experimented with. Hopefully one worked for you. One resonated. And if not, then um, have fun. Because, you know, all of our techniques and traditions, every single one of them, came from someone's mind and heart. Someone, person, who said, hey, wow, this really works for me. Let me pass it to you. What do you think? Try it. Someone else said, yeah, this is great. Let me share that with all my friends. And then everybody else went, hey, this is great. Let's just tweak it a little. Okay, great. Let's write it down. Ah, a thousand years later, hey, it's a technique. Wow, who was so brilliant? Who made that up? I don't know, but it works. You can start your own. That's what skillful means is. Take what's here, what we might need, what we see can work. Have some fun with it. <laughs> see, see what happens. We have our toolbox. Starting a bigger toolbox. You better get a bigger toolbox now. <laughs> okay, so before we move into something else, Anybody want to share an experience or if you have a question about any of those components, let's say, of our breath experience? Yeah, please, um, hang on one sec. Probably more of a sensation. I have an apartment and the people keep totally different hours. Mm. They'd wake me up. I'm a light sleeper. And I would get outraged. And I just started meditating, listening to sounds. And now I attach. I just tell myself it's a sound. Mm -hmm. And I'm able just to go right back to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. I can't believe how well it has worked. Yeah. Pure and emotional. Right, and, and that's how we can utilize whatever is going on as a practice of letting go and of seeing things as they are. In this case, hearing things as they are, just sound. I taught for a while uh, at a place called the Addiction Institute in New York City, Roosevelt Addiction Institute, and I was working at a, uh, working in a, um, 28-day rehab facility, and there's some pretty uh, streetwise people in there. Sometimes they kind of liked what I was doing, and sometimes they really just didn't have um, any interest at all, but I was a mandatory part of their program (laughs) twice a week. (laughs) That was a practice in and of itself, walking into, like, we don't want you here. But there was one woman that, um, you know, taught them these kinds of mindfulness practices. And, and um, she would say, God, those people out there, they're talking so loudly. Don't they know we're in here trying to meditate? So I was like, okay, we're going to listen to their voices as sound. You know, no content, just 
to help them, you know, because everything's contextual and, uh, you know, working with who we're with, I said, okay, just imagine they're going blah, 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 blah. You don't need to, you know, know what the, di- discern the words or the content of their conversation. She, she did it. And she came, when I came back a couple of days later, she said, Jill, they were outside my room all night and they were just going blah, 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 blah. I slept so well. Like, yay, okay. I gave her a little context, you know, a little made fun of it, but this is the thing. We, Whatever is coming into our awareness, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we can use it as practice. I mean, oftentimes we get a little caught in the unpleasant, but even the pleasant things we can use in, as practice. It's all grist for the mill. And it's totally dependent on how we hold. Too tight, not too loose. Yeah, it just is. This is what's happening right now. It's my responsibility what's going on in here. So that's great. It does work. Anybody else? Anything go on with the breath? Was it helpful or get caught anywhere? Hang on one sec. I'm curious if you have any suggestions for if we start feeling like a tightening and then we're focusing on it and it almost gets worse. (laughs) If you have any suggestions for that. Yeah, then I would drop it. Mm -hmm. I would drop the breath completely. And go to something physical like your feet. Um, Feet or hands. There are more um, nerve endings in the feet and the hands. We have more awareness of hands and feet than anywhere else in the body. And usually hands and feet are fairly neutral territory in the body. Um, And if they are, if they're not, then we come up with something else like earlobe or maybe entrance of the nostrils, which all work very well. And you focus on the sensations in your feet and drop the breath completely. And this is another case of uh, when the rubber hits the road or taking a spin, pivoting and go, ah, okay, I'm going to do this. If the breath's not working for you, you're in a class or, you know, someone's saying, breathe, 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 and you're like, I can't or I would be, go to your feet. Let's do it right now. Everybody just feel your feet. Don't move them. Just sense your feet. Let's go to the right foot. Let's take a, make it a little bit more bite-sized. Just feel your right foot. Feel the sole of it. Maybe you might notice the difference between the heel and the arch of your foot. And see if you can feel, without closing your eyes, I mean, if you close your eyes, it's okay, don't worry. But if you can try to do this with your eyes opened, it's great. See if you can sense where your toes touch on your right foot. Just see if you can feel that part of your foot, where your toes touch each other. Some of you might be able to sense the space between your toes. Now feel the temperature of your right foot. And then allow your eyes to look up. So what happened when you did that? I stopped thinking about my body. Yeah. 
and you're, you were breathing, or we would have seen you turn blue. <laughs> so what else happened when you're feeling your foot? Yeah, not much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tool number five. <laughs> um, you had something you wanted to share. You have a question about that? Okay, and then we'll come back to you. How's that? I just noticed that <clears throat> when you went from the breath to the more sensual, sort of in a way, the feet and the hands, a little more solid, mm-hmm. that it was a little um, better at um, stopping thoughts, some kind of a connection. The you foot know, when was. The, yeah, yeah, great. Something a little more sort of tactile. You could hold solid. it on. Yeah, you could use it a little because bit more. Because there's, you know, that's great. Sometimes you do this practice over and over, and then you think, where is this coming from? You know, and you kind of want to get back to thoughts or what's stimulating this emotion, you know, whether it's the anxiety of waking You mean when noises. you're focusing on the breath, you do that? Yeah. Uh-huh. So say whatever triggers you, the noise right. in the next room, oh, okay. the, um, you know, an argument with your partner, you know, and you have this emotion coming up. So you think, okay, I'm going to go back to my breath. I'm going to go back. Like you said, oh, it's not working. Mm-hmm. You know, then mm-hmm. go to something a little more solid. Yeah. But then is there the next step? Does that come to you? Like, what are, what's going on? What thoughts? Um, just, it's just. Yeah. I mean, the, well, question. that's, uh, yes. So there's times for both, right? So there's times when you really just need to get to the ground. You need to be in your body. You can get out of the discursive mind or the strong emotion. Breath does it for some people, but not everybody. Controlling of the breath is usually easier than just noticing it. Usually. But not for everybody. Again, you know, it's, it depends on the person and this, what's going on, you know, mentally, emotionally. Um, the feet and the hands are a really great tool and work for a lot of people. When we go into the body like that, it gives the mind a break. And that's the important part. All right? So you weren't thinking when you were feeling or sensing. So just a little pause like that is enough to air the room out, so to speak. Oh, okay, now, okay, I'm back. I see. Okay, let me reassess. Let me start again. It can be just enough for that. Now, when there's some clarity, if it's called for or if this is your intention... Then you could see, okay, well, what was the thread of what just happened? That's mindfulness of mind. So that you're going to trace it back and you're going to notice, ah, that was the main trigger. That's what got this whole thing sparked and going that led me to almost losing it, for instance, spinning out of control. But I stopped it somewhere in there, brought myself to my feet, my hands, my breath, whatever it was. But I want to know, okay, well, How do I avoid that next time? That's where wisdom comes in. Because you see, we start to notice what the mind does. That's mindfulness of the mind. In the right times. We're not analyzing. But we're going back and just retracing from time to time. 
so we see what the the um, spark was. Then next time you start to sense that spark, and you sense it not in your mind, you sense it in your body, because the body feels what's going on before the mind cognizes it. So you'll feel something in the body shift. It could be a breath. It could be tightness somewhere. It could be a tingle. It could be just some little tiny signal that your body gives. You sense that and you're like, oh. And you address it and there are tools for that. And then you can possibly avoid at least something happening mm, in such a major way. You know, it might still happen. That same linear progression or maybe non-linear progression might still happen. But you're a little bit more in charge. That's, that's helpful. So you're, in a way, you're sort of giving, you give your mind a break. Mm-hmm. And then when you follow that thread, when the limbic system is starting to communicate, like you said, better exactly. with the cortex. That's and right. you're able to start thinking more about right. it. But you at can. the time, it's like, okay, yeah. just... Right. And that's where formal practice is really important because formal practice, we're coming back, usually, not always, there's open awareness, but we're coming back to the same, whatever we choose, anchor, support, home base, like breath, like body, like whatever it is, over and over and over again to train the mind to actually sit down and stay. Now that takes time. Once we've trained the mind to do that fairly well, then as we're going about our lives, then the informal practice kicks in. That's what I call rubber hits the road. And I can be aware of what's going on internally and in my mind, still internal, as I'm speaking to you. If I started to get heated, then I'm going to know that as it starts. Because I can feel it in my body. I haven't lost my body. And the exciting thing, too, about that is that now we know we're actually creating, we're changing the brain. We're yeah. creating those new pathways. Yeah. So it's not always going to be the same default. No, we're no, no. Start changing then we that. grow. <laughs> we spiritually mature. We have choice. That's the most exciting part, is that all, I think all of practice is eventually giving us just incredible amount of choice. How do I want to be? How do I want to live? Thank you. Even when it's loud upstairs. <laughs> so you had something you wanted to add. No, actually say. Uh, okay. Well, you were talking about different um, skillful means with types of listening to the breath in different ways. Yeah. And one way that I have found really works for me and actually I've taught it quite a bit is um, the sense that of expanding my body. Mm-hmm. This feeling expansion as I inhale and softening as I exhale. Mm-hmm. That's nice too. So I just wanted to share yeah, that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was um, came in a very dark place because I have a lot of very difficult things happening right now. Mm. But what was lovely with this just now is that the place where I started to turn around was at my toes and my feet are really badly malformed at this point but I love my feet because they take me to places where I love to go walking is the way I soothe myself right um, especially in nature but it could be anywhere just the movement of my legs 
looking at things around me that, uh, especially when I'm down, revive me mm-hmm. from what's in my head. Right. <laughs> where my heart is cracking. I can go out into nature and I can take a walk and those feet will take me there. So right. I don't know if there's such a thing as having a special place to go in your body, but it has shown it yes, for I me. Think there is. I think there can be many. Yeah. I mean, and aren't we lucky if we do have a special place? You know, like that's where I love the image of the body as house. And I work like this a lot. I worked with it on my own, you know, when I, especially when I wasn't well. Is that we need a place where we feel safe and where there's a, you know, comfortable chair, some coziness. Wherever that is. Yeah. And even if we're having difficulty with the body, and we do. We do. Um, that we can appreciate how hard the body is working anyway. I experienced that with my heart. You know, my poor heart was working so hard just to keep me standing up. And I loved that about it. I was like, oh, thank you. Doesn't feel great, but boy, I know you're trying. <laughs> Same with your feet, right? So um, part of the inner awareness too is just is is the deep gratitude and appreciation, even when something's uncomfortable. Being aware of what is, being aware of what we have, not just what we don't have. That's internal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hang on, in the back. In regards to the um, practice of going to the physical, for me, when breath isn't enough and I need to go to physical, when I start to go down the rabbit hole, like I found even now with you almost coaching me through that and asking the questions, like being specific as to what I should, what, where to shift my focus on my feet. Without you there, I would have been here thinking about, oh, my feet, what about my feet, what about my feet? So do you mm-hmm. suggest then, like, maybe a set set of questions that I automatically go to, like the space between my toes or something like that, mm-hmm. without having... Yeah. Okay. I think that's a really good tool, because if we have some sort of form and format, we get to know the form and format so well that we don't have to think about it anymore. And then what we're doing is just getting absorbed in the experience of it. Mm-hmm. A lot of art is like that. You know, you get to know the form. Like, let's say if you're a musician, you n- learn chords, mm-hmm. for instance, and then you can play. If we're a writer or a poet, we n- learn language, and then we express. So getting to know form and format, I think, is, is helpful, very, very helpful. Because otherwise it can be like, whoa, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start here. I'm in a big ocean, and ah, I'm drowning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you use it. Use it, definitely. Great. And um, recordings are great for that. And any time that we do something over and over and over, we know this from plasticity, it starts to become a pattern. And that's what skillful means can help with. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. And body scans are good. You know, I'm sure you know this, right? Body scans are great for that same reason because you could start from your head and go down to your feet or you can start from your feet and go up to your head. Systematic. Here, 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 here. We'll try one later today. 
Anybody else before we take our lunch break? So then let's just try an experiment. Just stand up for a moment. Might feel good at this point. And see if you can um, sense any difference in the way your body feels and the way you're inhabiting your body uh, right now as in contrast, and not qualitative necessarily, but quantitatively, in contrast to uh, when you first walked in. Notice anything that's shifted or changed. So you can sense maybe different things in your body. Maybe you sense it in your breath. Maybe your breath's in a different place, a location, or it's got a different cadence. And then some of us may not be into the felt sense as well yet. This can be developed and learned. That's the good news. That's why we're here. But some of us might sense just a different landscape of mind a different landscape of heart. You you might notice a little change. And then let's just take a seat for a moment. Anybody not feel much different? Um, may I ask you a question? Sure. Did you come in with a lot on your mind? Yes. Okay. That helps. <laughs> Sometimes it's kind of stubborn and sticky. And it uh, takes a little more than what we've done. Um, can you be okay with that? Yes. Excellent. Good. You know, like it's like, you know, breath, right? Going to the breath. If someone's having a panic attack, do not tell them to focus on their breath. If someone's angry, don't tell them to focus on their breath. Because really, all you're going to do is heighten that. And they won't like you very much. Or less than they did a moment ago, you know. it's. Um, but the thing is that sometimes there's stuff going on in our life that's really stubborn and difficult. And we... We can try to maybe breathe it into a shift or go to the body or sit in silence or even take a walk, and it doesn't shift that much. I'm sure you've all experienced that, yeah? Okay. Does that mean that the practice isn't working? No. Does that mean that you're not a good practitioner? No. Does that mean maybe keep trying other things? Sure. Does that mean maybe it just sucks right now and it's going to take some time? Yeah. There are times like that. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is where I, I, I think it's important. I'm really glad that you um, gave us this as an example because, it, you know, there's a, there's a little sometimes a precious bubble around spiritual practice and practitioners, you know,
there's all sorts of different kinds of practice. One of which was just very important is is staying with the discomfort, whatever it is, the stuckness, the confusion, the cobweb, the anger, whatever it is, you know, feel it. It happens. It doesn't mean that we're any less of anything. It means that it's just that is what we're experiencing right now. When I, I was in London recently, I mentioned with Ajahn Amaro, and we uh, were teaching on the four foundations, and when we got to the foundation, mindfulness of mind, you know, it opens up a whole Pandora's box of things. And one woman... Um, who I know quite well, she was a student of mine from Holland, came over and she said, she's dealing with, um, been working with uh, fibromyalgia for a long time, and it's getting worse. And so, you know, Ajahn Amaro was talking about sometimes we just need a raft, you know, to hang on to in the tumultuous waves of whatever life is bringing us or, you know, involves. And she raised her hand and she said, well, Ajahn, what do we do when, when we can't hold the raft? You know, the waves, the ocean has just gotten so tumultuous and so strong that, that the, you know, the raft is, is just slipping. Can't get on it, can't hold it. And he said, you know, there are those times and that you feel like you're drowning and you just have to wade it through. Sorry. <laughs> Not really, I mean. You know, and that's just the truth of it. There's not always a band-aid or a skillful means necessarily. There's not always a practice. And in times of real acute anything, that's not the time to, to turn and look at your breath sometimes or your mind. It's the time to maybe take a walk, have a tea, be with a friend, or sit with me. Just kidding. Maybe I'll give you a little something else to focus on. But the, the, but these, this is realistic. Sometimes we just there's that restlessness, that jumpiness, that, that you know underlying agitation. Okay, well, how can we be with that? All real life stuff. So um, let's take our lunch break now. We have an hour, an hour. Does everybody know about places to go? The one place to go, I think it is. <laughs> Nearby. No, um, it's out. There's a deli in Woodacre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll come back at um, 1.30. Look forward to seeing you then.
Okay, how's that? Yes, it's on. I can hear that. Welcome back. Maybe we should have some handy. Uh, try not to touch it. Lifelong habit of fooling with hair. Amazing outside, isn't it? As being a transplant from the East Coast, this is why I moved here. <laughs> February. February. Oh. oh, thanks. Does this feel better than the Scotch tape? I see it on uh, the... Oh. When they're doing their webinars. Do they have it? <laughs> that works. <laughs> At least it's kind of, you know, blend, blends into my skin a little bit anyway. My boyfriend lives in New York and I can't, you know, I never tell him what temperature it is here. He looks, but I don't say it. Thank you. Do you want to come up, Cherise, so we can model this? So um, I found this cartoon. I wonder if that's on the recording. Probably it is. Yeah, maybe you just look and see. I don't know. I think it. I think they leave it on. Thank you. Perfect. So um, I found this cartoon. It's a guy sitting behind a big desk and a woman sitting in front of the desk but sort of leaning over. Well, one's behind, one's in front. I don't know which. And the woman is reaching forward over the desk and she says, we're looking for managers that demonstrate high levels of emotion, emotional intelligence. Here, please try on this mood ring. That's <laughs> <laughs> how mainstream and new age it's gotten. <laughs> Apparently there are a bunch of cartoons nowadays that talk about emotional intelligence. It's good that we can make fun of ourselves in, in what we take so seriously, isn't it? helps. So um, uh, Sharice and I are going to model a dyad that we're going to try, that I'd like you guys to try. I want to preface this by saying if this is something that you don't want to try, then, you know, you can opt out. Um, And, but 
Yeah, you can opt out. I'm big on choice, and um, <laughs> I used to come to California a lot. You know, I mean, I've been teaching here for a really long time, and come out here and do, do retreats, teach on retreats, lead retreats, whatever. But sometimes oops, I'd be on a retreat, and there'd be a dyad. Notice how I, my voice dropped, dropped when I said dyad. A dyad, and um, this is about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I remember someone saying, okay, we're going to do this. And they explained, the teacher explained, and I got up and I left. I, you know, yeah, give it a try. First, I was like, oh, I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> we don't do this. <laughs> so next time I thought, well, I may still live in New York, but I'm going to open my mind and try it. And I liked it. So, anyway. <coughs> we never know. But if you don't, if you want to opt out, you, you're absolutely welcome to. So we're going to model um, this dyad and hear the... Want to do the first one? Okay. Is that okay? So I'll say it. Are we going to answer? Will you say it? I'll say it. You'll answer. Okay. Yeah. So we, we're going to do a repetitive question. We'll do it for, um, well, three minutes. We'll make it kind of short. Um, three minutes on each question. And then we'll shift, switch roles. And then, you know, we'll reverse the questioner. We'll become the person that responds. And this is a um, practice that is to help us uh, be in touch with what what we're feeling and sensing as we're either responding to the question or listening to the responder. Okay? So it's, it's as close to having a conversation as we're going to get right this moment. But being able to um, walk and chew gum at the same time. So when we're practicing, like, for instance... Um, noticing breath or noticing the body or noticing whatever we're feeling with our eyes opened, it's kind of like that. So we're going to up the level a little bit and try it in, uh, in this circumstance or this, this kind of situation. Okay? So I'm going to ask Sharice uh, the same question over and over. So I'm going to ask the question, question. She's going to respond. And then I'll say thank you. Wait a moment. Ask it again. She'll respond. I'll say thank you. Wait a moment. Ask again. And um, the person that's asking, try not to have a lot of affect, if you can. And I don't mean be stone-faced. But the, the, the listener really wants to practice listening. And if you're responding with your head or your face or you know, some gesture, that's the same as saying something, basically. But it's nonverbal communication. So you can, of course, smile, keep your face soft. You don't have to be a stone face by any stretch of the imagination. But just um, remember that your gestures are just as much, can be just as much of a response as words. Okay. 
As my own worst enemy, I sit in anger. Thank you. As my own worst enemy, I don't try things I don't know I won't succeed at. Thank you. As my own worst enemy, I don't ask questions when I need to. Thank you. So, um, pick, thank you. <laughs> um, pick a partner. Could be someone just right next to you, then, you know, make it cash if you can. And turn your chairs so that you're facing each other. It's only three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, but hang on. I'm gonna time it. Oh, I forgot my phone. Use this. Okay, so don't start yet. Don't start yet. Hang on, because I'm gonna time it. Because God forbid I don't look at the clock and then you're going on and on and on. We don't want that to happen. The three minutes is good, right? Um, Okay. So what I'd like to ask you to do is talk as softly as you can just because there are a lot of us in the room. And um, remember that the, the person that's asking the question, does everybody have a partner that wants one? Anybody left without one? Wow, that worked out. Okay. Um, The person that's asking is listening. What does it feel like to listen? So see, whatever you can do to check in, you know, um, interoception, inner awareness, the phenomenological aspects of what you're experiencing, um, please do that. The person that's responding, same thing. How does it feel? How does it feel? So try to stay with your body as best as you can. And when you can't, uh, that's interesting as well, right? So this is an experiment. No right or, way wa- right or wrong way to do it. Okay? So why don't we just start by paying homage to our partner. Thank you. A little gesture of support here. And then please begin. Oh, the question is... <laughs> As my own worst enemy, I...
Okay, so don't talk, please. Body, feel your breath. What's it like from your vantage point, whether you are the asker or the responder? Notice what's going on in your own body. Notice anything you might be able to be aware of in your breath. If you need a tool, going to the feet, elongating the breath, or even just looking around the room, if that would be helpful to you now, please use one. Okay, and then we're going to switch. The person that was responding will now be the asker. Okay. And so the question is the same. Um, maybe I didn't say this enough, but please try not to cross talk. Don't cross talk. So the responder, the listener, really just listen. Try not to have great affect, even though I know that's difficult, but this is part of the noticing what goes on, okay? Um, just listen, receive what that other person is, is saying, and notice what it feels like. And then the responder, you know, notice what it's like to say these things. All right? Okay, so let's start again, please.
Finish your thought. And then drop back into silence. Please, don't talk yet. We'll have time. Don't worry. We'll have time. Just feel, just sense. Everything has a resonance. Everything has a resonance. And generally we're not noticing that so much. And this is what we want to try to do, is pay homage to the resonance. Pay homage to what just occurred. And what's occurring now because of it. Noticing sensations, noticing emotions, noticing breath. Use a tool if you need to. Okay, and then let's um, pay homage to our partner. You can bow or just thank them. Okay, so. Um, we're going to switch and and the question is going to change and this time what we're going to ask each other is as my own best friend I so um, I just want to point out that there are tissue boxes here (laughs) maybe I should bring them to the center of the room there used to be lots of them Okay. All right, so as my own best friend, I. So switch. Now the asker will be the other the person that was just answering, yeah, or responding. We'll do this again for three minutes. Try not to respond so much with body uh, gestures. Please don't talk in between. When I ring the bell, drop back into silence and feel. And then we will have time to discuss, okay? All right, so let's begin again.
So we'll sit for a moment. Notice what this brought around, brought up, how it feels. Body, breath, mind, heart. And then let's acknowledge our partner. And we'll reverse one last time.
Was that loud enough? Okay. So before we start to share, just drop back into silence so that you honor that part of the process and notice it, whatever it holds for you. Let's bow to our partner or thank our partner, whatever's comfortable for you. And um, we let's you can just turn your chair forward. I just want to open up the window really quick. Actually, here we go. So, um, thank you for doing that. A lot of um, where we miss out on self-care, I think, is in moving too quickly through or around something. Or denying it in total. And there are all these little micro-events that are happening all the time. We put it aside. Don't got time. Don't want to deal. Not the right place. You know, etc. These are all sometimes very, very valid. I don't want to say excuse, but reasons. And sometimes they're convenient. But here's what happens with absolutely every moment. Something's struck a chord. Let me do this a little more loudly. And there's a resonance, there's a vibration to it. Rarely do we wait till the end of that resonance. It's, this is how we live. On to the next. Right? Now the thing is that I can put my hand, my finger on the bowl and I can stop it, but it's still in there. And this is what builds up over time. We... Um, don't take the time or maybe we feel that we're going to get overwhelmed can't 
we don't want to let the floodgates open or whatever. You know, there's lots of really valid reasons and there's sometimes there's some just excuses. Uh, a lot of times it's fear. Um, but we don't sit with or really even fully recognize. Recognize means to really know uh, what is occurring. And then that's what leads to burnout. Tremendous amounts of stress, compassion fatigue, depression, anxiety, sometimes an illness. I'm not saying we're responsible for illness, but it can lead us, you know, to get a cold or a flu or get run down. Um, so I wanted to just illustrate that. Because I keep saying, you know, to feel the resonance. The body holds the resonance of everything. Uh, so does the mind. But the body's tissue really holds memory. And um, our body can be our own best friend in terms of what we're looking at today because if we can start to sense the body, feel that we can work with what we notice more and more on the spot, or fairly soon thereafter. Generally, we're in our head so much that we don't notice the body that well. And so we're not allowing ourselves to have this incredible opportunity to really care for ourselves and to respond generously out of a space or a pause rather than out of a reaction. Um, Khandra Rinpoche is a wonderful uh, woman. Very few women Rinpoches in the Tibetan tradition, at least that have come to the West. And she says, um, wisdom requires that we work with the inner self in order to act in accordance with the basic goodness that we all have. And when we meet with obstacles or difficulties, we can use them to develop more inspiration. For if we sincerely value kindness and caring, that belief will give us the courage to overcome all obstacles. Wisdom is being able to use obstacles in this way. Otherwise, wisdom becomes some sort of museum piece, and we end up collecting philosophies, logics, and teachings, just like people who collect old furniture. So let's share, for those of you who would like to, let's share our experiences because I think the other really beautiful thing about a day like this or getting together with like-minded people, like-hearted people, of having what the Buddha said, that the Sangha, the community, is the most important out of all practices, is being with community, being in community. That our relationship with others and ourselves is supremely important. So when we share, we see we're not alone. And so, um, you know, sometimes people share things that are a little uncomfortable, and someone who didn't want to share says, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one. So if that gives you a little bit more mm, fertilization to share, that's great. So we'll do uh, just whomever would like to offer up an experience about 
the listening, the talking, either question, please just raise your hand and Sharice will bring the um, mic over. Hi, I'm Frances. Hi. When I was asked my partner, Jim, questions, it was so hard not for me to have some kind of affect because I was like, oh, my God, that's very courageous that she said that. Yeah. So. Very difficult, I know. We're so used to it, you know. But what is that when we're, I mean, I, I, I know, I know, I, I empathize. <laughs> when we see someone going through something uncomfortable, what do we want to do? Why is it hard not to respond? I'm asking, I'm asking you, Francis. Just kind of want to show my, you know, empathy or you yeah. know, recognition, acknowledgement, compassion. Yeah, totally. We do, because I mean, we want to help, right? That's why compassion is a verb, it's not a noun. Compassion, when you see people suffering or in discomfort, you want to help. It means, compassion means you need to do something. <laughs> but, um, and that's great, you know, I mean, it's natural, uh, it's, it's part of our nature, and what we're learning to do is not that we don't want to be empathetic. That's not this exercise at all. But to feel what's going on in ourselves before we automatically respond. Because if we're, if we're busy responding, we're not necessarily feeling. Because we've already put our hand on the bowl. We've stopped the tone. So we want to be able to give ourselves that pause. Oh, I have this great quote. Um, from Lao Tzu. He says, muddy water, let stand, becomes clear. Muddy water, let stand, becomes clear. So these little pauses can be routinized in a way. They can be embodied. They become part of us. So you're less inclined just to go. And it's more natural. It becomes more natural because you've learned this through intention and practice to wait a moment. Let become clear. Then respond. Thank you. Yeah. Hang. Oh, sorry. Mike. Um, that little dialogue uh, brought up for me how um, oftentimes if I'm sharing something with someone, I'm not talking about my partner, but oftentimes when I'm sharing something with someone, they might say, oh, that's so beautiful, or oh, that's so courageous. And, in, and inside, I feel like, kaboom. Somehow the feeling just shut down by being labeled. Uh-huh. Even if it's a oh, well, positive yeah. label. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's, oh, that's so wonderful. You know, like, somehow the actual mm-hmm. feeling has changed by being labeled. So I really appreciated that instruction a lot. That's excellent. Um, because sometimes the naming of it changes it, yeah? Yeah, that's great. Wow. I hadn't heard that. 
before. Thank you. Hi, I'm Anna. Hi, Anna. I really appreciated and found it very difficult to first focus on things that were harder and negative and have to separate that from positives or how I might take actions. And so I really appreciated going through the exercise and thinking about, as my worst enemy, here are all the things that are challenging and difficult without really feeling like I had to think about the next action or what came out of it. Or I think I've spent more time training myself. There are these difficult things that I experience and go through, but I have to look to the positive and see how I grow and what comes out on the other side. And in this exercise, I was really forced to actually separate those two things and really feel the resonance of each of those. And I felt very different after the first part as I then compared after the second part of the exercise. Can you describe a little bit about what that difference might have been? After the first part of the exercise, um, I think I felt more of a need and an urge that I had to... I felt like there was a piece missing. Like I'm recognizing all these things about myself, but... It's hard for me to to stay there. Like it, yeah. I I want to <laughs> move beyond that. Right. And after the second part of the exercise, I felt like, oh, I I'm proud of myself. I've, I'm recognizing all these things to myself. Mm-hmm. But it became much more clear, I think, because I would separated those two. Beautiful. Thank it's you. it's not in our training as younger people in this culture, or. Western culture mainly, to sit with discomfort. We're trained quite well to fix it, change it, rearrange it, ignore it, deny it, stamp on it, scream at it, (laughs) put a clicker on it. (laughs) Next. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's our training, right? So uh, when you think of it, we, we're quite good at our... We, we've listened very well. Thank you very much. Parents, teachers, culture, advertising, etc. We've learned. Now we're unlearning. Now we see that maybe that's not always the best way to go. It's a way to go. Um, and especially if we're on a path of inquiry, you know, or a spiritual path of any kind, I think at some point, and it doesn't matter how old we are, or how young we are, that we put the brakes on, like, whoa, oh, let me notice this. Which is what you're saying, and I'm sure this isn't the first time this has happened to you. I mean, you seem like a very thoughtful person. But, and then we see, aha, there's always this um, need to cover or change or fix or rearrange or something like that. It's a knee-jerk reaction. We all have that. And part of the challenge, and sometimes the difficulty in meditation or mindfulness practice, is sitting with. Because it's just, we're not used to it. And yet, one of the wonderful things that comes from sitting with is that then it doesn't need to stick. It doesn't need to stay. It can go. If, uh, if we recognize something, then it's done its job. If we push it away or cover it over, it's going to need to come back and try again and again 
and again. And so recognition is really important, and feeling is part of recognition. Yeah. And it doesn't last that long, usually. It usually doesn't last that long. And everything, you know, everything is impermanent. That's the good news and not so good news. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Yes. My experience was kind of the opposite, so I thought um, that it would perhaps be a useful contrast. Um, In my work, it is uh, very often my job to respond to people. Um, That's part of what the that's part of what I do and so when I was listening to my friend I was working with someone who I know very well um there was one point where she said something that was obviously very intense for her and it felt so beautiful I felt like she said it because she knew that she could just say it and that nothing was going to come back and it felt like such a gift that she was sharing that with me and it just felt so incredibly intimate to just be resonating in that moment with her and to to not say anything it was it was wonderful to to know that I didn't have to try to make her feel okay that she was sharing it with me just because that's what she wanted to say right and that was that was really beautiful that's fantastic thank you you know when we feel heard sometimes that's enough yep yeah it just feels it's so of ego to want to make it better if they're not asking for it. Yeah, and it's also natural empathy and it's our heart and, you know, I mean, yeah. But listening is a skill. You know, listening isn't that easy, really. Especially when we hear ourselves or feel ourselves want to respond, in, you know, immediately. And And, you know, what's interesting about that, too, is that we're often responding to something before that person's finished. So we're responding to something that's not complete yet, which means that we don't really know what it is. It's like the mind goes, oh yeah, but you may be saying, no, no. You know, it's, it's not what I meant. And so a lot of times conversations are like this. <laughs> Listen to me, I am, no, you're not. You know, it's like, not, not so much absorption. And so, listening, if you can listen to, if we listen to each other, if we're actually witnessing and listening, there's so much sanity in that. There's an incredible amount of safety and sanity in that. It's beautiful. Um, I did a Buddhist chaplaincy training recently, a few years back. Um, so I was a chaplain in a hospital, and um, I was the one Buddhist in the whole hospital. So you know, nobody needs to know that I'm a Buddhist, but in other words, I had to listen to all sorts of people coming from all sorts of different places without telling them anything about me or being, you know, my role normally for the last 40 years has been a teacher. So I'm used to holding that, you know. This is an entirely different way to hold space or to hold somebody. And I really had to listen and practice this 
as an art. Because um, people just wanted to be heard, you know. From, and they're coming from incredibly vulnerable places. Really vulnerable. So just to hold space, and someone, you know, we feel each other's resonance. You know, you can tell. Even if if someone is pretending to listen and they're not, you can kind of feel that, you know. It's kind of like, there's this kind of glaze that gets over in the eye sort of thing. Something like that. So it's a, it's a gift. It's such a gift to have that experience. Maybe it's not the first time for you, but regardless, um, maybe you experience that as a gift. I don't know, but... It can be a, a very precious thing to be able to just be listened to. Anyone else? Hang on one second. Hi, Megan. Um, it was interesting when you said in the beginning to not nod or smile or anything. And right when you said that, I always nod. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then talking to my partner, I was so conscious to not nod. And I'm like, I know I'm still nodding. <laughs> and then end with a smile. <laughs> Some habits so are really in there. there. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. Thank you. Yeah. But, you know, you noticed that you did. I mean, that's a great thing, too. I mean, that's insightful, is that you notice that you always do. And, I mean, that's sometimes, then you can make the choice. Do I, am I always going to have to do this? Well, maybe not. (laughs) You know, because, yeah, right? (laughs) Neck hurts, face starts to hurt. Um, Because sometimes, you know, we get into a habit and we think that's just the way we are. Yeah. We can choose. <laughs> but sometimes it might be quite appropriate. It's funny because, you know, like teaching on retreats and, and doing this kind of work for a while, um, some people start nodding the minute you open your mouth. So I'll be here watching you and, and, I'll, and I'll say, and you know when someone's going like this. <laughs> it's like automatic. But I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> yeah. We're funny creatures, I think. <laughs> there is this wonderful older Tibetan teacher named Bokar Rinpoche. He says, We should not forget that the mind, whatever turn we want to give it, is very flexible. To the extent that we train ourselves, we create a habit. And the mind accepts the crease that we give it. Neuroplasticity. So let's reverse that. The mind accepts any new crease. The mind can uncrease. To a great degree, uncrease. Now, it may not completely lay it flat and fresh. <laughs> no trace. until maybe I've heard enlightenment is kind of like that. But we can uncrease to a great degree. So let's say, you know, this was a problem for you. You really did have a neck problem and 
you know, nodding was really just exacerbating it. But it was something that you did, you know, when you were old enough to be able to turn your head, you know, move your head. Well, you may not completely be able to let that habit go, but at least you'd be conscious of it. And you could choose when you're going to do it most of the time. So these really, you know, stronger patterns that we have may not completely get erased, but they won't they don't need to control us anymore. And that's the that's the interesting part is that we through repetition we condition our minds. Through repetition we can decondition our minds. This is the good news. This is why, you know, just the the uh, the raw data, the proof of neuroplasticity was such a great news. Was so great, you know, it was amazing news. the The mind can change. We get older, we can still do work with the mind. It can still, you know, change <laughs> for the better. I. I find so much uh, solace and excitement in that. (laughs) Aha, here it is. Our friend Jack Cornfield says, wisdom knows what feelings are present without being lost in them. So this, the act of being aware or of recognizing is knowing an emotion, a habit, a mental habit, a physical habit, whatever we're, we're noticing at the time, without identifying with it when we identify with it, over-identify with it, let's say, then we're not seeing that we are not the habit. We are the habit. It's just taken over. So we, we can notice emotions. We can notice sensations. We can notice thoughts. We can notice behavior. We can notice all sorts of things. As the spy in the corner of the room. As the witness, as the observer. As the knower. Some call it uh, some call it Buddha nature, the true nature from our true nature. That's a vantage point. You see, that's a perspective, and right there, that changes everything. Does that make sense? And it's that pausing and that, and I think the the in the internal awareness, this inner awareness and the interoception, whatever you want to call it, but it's being aware of what's happening as it's happening in all its glory, physical, emotional, mental, environmental, um, that gives us a perspective that automatically nourishes and nurtures sanity and kindness. We don't get lost. We can take care of ourselves more and more. Uh, Rilke wrote, these trees are magnificent. But even more magnificent is the sublime and moving space between them. 
as though with their growth it too increased. The space between the trees. And this is where I think we, we forget to notice is the space between the thought, the pause between the inhale, exhale, exhale, inhale, the resonance of what just occurred or is occurring is that we're, we're just habituized, we've just gotten used to moving to the next so quickly that we don't notice these things. And it's in the space between or the space we create that that the, the heart just opens up and it's that space that allows wisdom to arise and flourish and this little pause or this little space in whatever way it's useful for you to start bringing it into your work or your life or both is going to be one of the most valuable um, pieces of self-compassion I think that you'll that you'll have muddy water let stand clears Now, given all of this, there, you know, during the day, we're generally, um, unless you're working by yourself, with other people. I'm mainly by myself during the day, writing and things like that. So mm, my response and reaction a lot of times is, is inward. If you're working with other people, your response, your reaction is inward plus outward. And so our relationships, either with ourself or with others, and really, ultimately, both, is one of the better ways to practice introspection, inner awareness, self-care, etc. Because if we are having a tough conversation or we're with someone that's in a really uncomfortable place, for instance, because I know some of you, a lot of you in the room today are caregivers. You know, so you're with people that are going through a lot of difficulty. Our ability, or your ability, anyone's ability, to be with themselves in those moments is just as critical as it is to be with the other person. Because we listen, which is providing that other person some sanity and, and safety because they think, oh, this person is actually listening to me. So we listen to the other person, which is a lot of times just enough. We don't have to come up with any answers. We don't always have to be brilliant. We're not. <laughs> Basically, right? And we can hear ourselves. So one thing that I um, have suggested to a lot of people, because I've, you know, I do this on my own, is try this when you're reading the newspaper or you're watching the news. Because right now there's a lot of fire to work with. Plenty. And when things are not going the way you want them to, which is 
pretty much any time you read the paper or watch the news, then you want to gauge how you're responding and reacting. What's your body doing? What's your breath doing? What's going on in your mind? And play around with it. Now, I like to use this word on purpose, play, because it's an experiment. We don't know how things are going to turn out a lot of times. I, you know, there's no playbook for, for life, really. So we're seeing, oh, well, I've, I'm holding my breath as I'm watching this park get closed or whatever it is. You know, um, there's plenty of fodder. Or I'm gritting my teeth as I'm seeing this person on television. Or my shoulders are up like this for the past half hour as I've watched the news. Or whatever, my gut's gripped. You know, my belly is tight. Once we notice what these um, internal reactions and responses are, what we notice is going on in our inner environment, then we can start to work with them. Many, many years ago, and, and it was quite, I don't know, I, I'm not real proud of this example, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, I always try to have tried to come up with... Um, like I, st- I do study and I learn tradition. I've um, been a practicing Buddhist for 30-some years. And, but I like to kind of turn some of the practices around a little bit and see, you know, see, well, what if we try it like this and what if we try it like this? So this is a long time ago. This is about, oh God, this is about 30 years ago. Um, I tried to use this, uh, uh, train people to be aware of their ener- the energy in their bodies as they listen to a piece of music. So when we listen to music, we're usually brought on a journey of some sort. You know, music tells some, some sort of a story. You know, maybe not in words, if it's wordless music, but takes us with it, you know, and peaks and valleys and around and etc. It's part of the fun of it. It can lift our mood, it can quiet our mood, it can, you know, change our mood. So this piece of music that I chose to use was um, Panic in Detroit. Do you know that David Bowie song? It's pretty crazy. And it starts out, you know, some percussion, and then it builds, and then it builds, and then it works itself into a frenzy, because it's about panic. And then it calms back down a little bit. And so I asked people to notice their breath and their body while they listened to it. Not the whole thing, but most of it, for the first time. And people would say, yeah, my breath was up here. I was holding my breath. And then I said, okay, try to practice regulating your breath as you're listening to the music. And they did. It was a little bit of a funny exercise. But the point was that if we can play around with you know, in ways like this that make sense to that made sense to me at the time, and I and I used to do that. That's how I, one of the ways I learned to regulate my breath and my energy in in you know heightened situation was I play around with music, and you know I, so we we figure out examples or ways that we can do things that are fun for us or challenging, and then that's what dr- kind of drives it home, right? So if you can learn to do regulate your breath or be in your body or relax your belly or shoulders or whatever it is that you're noticing might react to difficulty especially, then 
and you're doing it, you know, sort of as fun as a little bit of a game, then when it starts to happen in your other real life, <laughs> it's already um, embodied, right? So that's kind of what practice is. So we practice so that when we're in our daily life situation, it's already in there, and it becomes second nature. But sometimes we don't catch things as they're coming up. We're too busy. The environment, you know, you work in an emergency room. I don't think the environment is like, oh, let me stop for a moment. So much, you know, we have to, that, that's a tough environment. But we can then unwind and let go when we get home. And so what I'd like to do now is show you something that I find to be incredibly helpful um, that relaxes the central nervous system, that opens the physical body, that relaxes the mind, and opens the breath. We have, um, we have uh, access to the room across the, down the hallway. So I'm going to show you this. Um, it's a restorative yoga pose. I'm going to show you the pose. And then it's going to take us a little time, but I want you to find a place to set it up. We're going to have to move some of these chairs, and then we have that free space uh, down the hall a little bit. But I'll show it to you first, and you'll see if it's something that you even want to do, because sometimes, you know, physically it may not be the right thing for you. Okay? So I'll demo it, then you can choose. And for those of you who think this isn't the best thing for you right now, then I'll show you some other things that might be, okay? Because I want to, I'll be able to work with you if you if you come up. All right. So let me show this to you.
the restorative poses are so, oh gosh, they're so helpful because we can meditate in them because we're still, right? Real easy to meditate. You're comfortable, you're still, you're in something for 10 minutes or so, longer at home if you want to stay longer. And there, you're able to track what's going on in the body. In other words, you'll start to feel things happening if you, if you stay in contact, if you stay in your body. So we're going to be mindful of sensations. We're going to stay with the body. That also means breath. I'm going to relax in the pose. Ten minutes, I'll ring the bell. You come up like I did, lifting the hips, pushing the cushion over, and just lying flat for a minute, okay, to notice the resonance. And then we'll come back, okay? So for those of you who don't want to do that, come up. I'll give you some other suggestions. Otherwise, let's, we can push the chairs over. Some of you can go down the hall. It has a few blankets, so you might want to bring something.
That was pretty smooth, the transition. It's impressive. Often, um, some of the most interesting insights can come from the most mundane tasks or experiences. We see, we tend to think that uh, we need to pay attention in particular times. When I'm on a cushion, when I'm on a mat, when I'm being challenged, when the tough gets going. And that is one form of practice, and that's one form of mindfulness, and that's one form of being present and awake. Yeah, absolutely. Really important. As we mature spiritually, we can start to wake up and be present with and get just as much fodder and insight and wisdom and opportunities for kindness in the very simple in-between, what we think of as in-between times. Like, as you walk from your uh, the door of your house to your car. When you think no one's looking. When you're washing your dishes. After you've hung up the phone while you're watching the news, when you're pulling a weed, when you're reading an email that's disturbing. This is when the practice really can be super, super important. The practice of waking up. So that we're no longer choosing when we're going to be awake and when we're not. We just are. And it's utilizing anything that comes our way, any of our life experiences, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional, as more ways to wake up, not less. There's more ways to wake up. So, especially in the Tibetan tradition, obstacles or tougher situations are the times that, that are relished because they're challenging. Practice is about now, not later. Practice is for now, not for later, necessarily. Because it's always now. Do we think, oh, well, next time I'll do it like this? No, do it now. Oh, well, next time I'm uncomfortable, I'll do it like this. No, now. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think we all think, oh, well, if somebody does this to me again, I'll, then I'll draw my boundary. <laughs> if they say this one more time, then I will, you know. Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But just start now. So some of the, the, our greatest challenges will prove, and I think we're all old enough to know this, prove to be our greatest experiences. That's where the real wisdom can come. It's out of our tragedies and out of our traumas and out of our 
times when we feel like, oh boy, I want to just give up. And we don't, you know. There's a, a friend of mine, Ian Baker, who uh, had a, a, a lo- uh, not lifelong maybe, but an adult-long dream of finding this um, secret waterfall in Tibet. And it's a, it was a place that was mythic, um, primarily because nobody could find it. It was in a lot of the written material from Tibet, but it wasn't... Um, Nobody had ever really located it. And people had died trying. There was a lot of expeditions trying to find this waterfall. But the journey was really incredibly difficult. And he ended up writing a whole book about it. And National Geographic filmed him on the last expedition he did where they did actually find it. And they went through such hardship. Incredible hardship. Along the way, they, they, this older um, lama joined them. And he was a big, big guy. And I don't think in the best physical shape. But he joined them on this journey. And at one point, they, they, uh, you know, the guys from National, guys and girls, I guess, um, people from National Geographic, they, they'd keep a little bit of distance, you know, but they were filming them. And they filmed this older llama trying to get over a huge tree that had fallen and over the path. Everybody else had kind of jumped over it. And he was having a challenging time getting over this trunk, this huge tree trunk. And so you can see him, and I think it might have been slippery too, but you could see him trying and then he'd fall down and he fell in, you know, like muck. And he'd get up and he'd try it again and he fell or he'd fall. And this went on a couple times, a few times, actually. And so, you know, as the viewer, you're like, oh, come on, come on. And I'm thinking, oh, man, he's not going to make it over the tree. And everybody else has gone ahead. I don't remember how many times. It's been a while since I've seen the film. But he, he tries again, and he gets over it. I don't know, you know, kind of sort of vaulted his body over it. It was... Pretty extraordinary. So he gets on the other side of this, I mean, big, big, big tree trunk. Big guy, just like, punk, falls down in the muck. But at least he's on the other side, falling in the muck this time. And he gets up, and he kind of, like, brushes the mud off his robes a little bit. And he starts to walk away. And all of a sudden, he turns around, and he goes back to the trunk, and he starts patting the trunk and laughing hysterically. <laughs> he was thanking it. He didn't know anybody was filming him. It was an obstacle. He worked with it. He got over it. You know, he paid for it. He fell on his bum a few times, got very dirty. Probably was a little tiny discouraged. I don't know, maybe I'm projecting, but he kept going until he got over it, got onto the other side of the trunk. So I thought, wow, you know, this is a, an illustration of using an obstacle, not giving up, and then appreciating it for what it's given you. Patience, perspective, sore bum, you know, whatever you go away with. 
And it's, those are the unplanned. You know, obstacles are usually unplanned. Come at any moment. Could stub your toe bringing the chair back in. It's in those times of informal practice that I think a lot of the real gems arrive if we're open to that. So just being in the body, lifting, moving, and placing our props or chairs, coming back to our seat, might be seem like, oh, well, I don't need to pay attention to this time. Could be some of the most interesting time because that's when our habits will really show up. Our habits of how we hold our shoulders, our habits of how we might be breathing, our thought patterns. Maybe we're already thinking, you know, what we're going to do later. Because we don't have this, you know, it's not a formal part of the day or a formal part of our practice. So what I'm suggesting is that, especially when we're learning inner awareness, and we're doing it to to really take care of ourselves and to be able to take care of others, just to be, you know, have a little bit more ease and understanding in life, is to use the moments when you think it's not important as important. Because, you know, one thing that um, I think becomes more and more apparent and in front of us as we get a little older is how short our lives are. If you're younger and you wake up to this, all the better. But usually it takes a loss of a loved one or an illness ourselves or someone else or just our you know, time spent already on earth that we start to appreciate a little bit more what we have and how we don't know. You know, there's a lot of not knowing. And so each moment becomes more, more and more precious. And why waste time? So even if we're doing something that, you know, we don't necessarily love, or like a job, if you have a job that you don't love, but you have to do it because you need the money, then use that as much as you possibly can. How do I work with my own situation? And it's in those times especially when it starts to register, wow, this is really uncomfortable. That we then apply skillful means, we can, to what it is we're feeling. And that way it doesn't mount and build and become this big cobweb or pile or weight that comes crashing down on us at some point. Notice things before they've gotten so large that they become overwhelming and much more distressful than they started. And so there are times that we're going to notice these little micro moments feeling things go on inside. And there are times that we may not necessarily have the luxury to take a pause longer than a a breath, maybe. We may not be able to regulate our breath or close our eyes or do something that, you know, uh, 
helps us to relieve the stress or the tension that we notice in the body. So we can do something when we get home. And so that's what that pose is for, or a posture like that. The Having your hips up a little bit higher than your head, for those of you who are able to do that one, um, takes the blood into the brain. I mean, you know, because there's this, you're at an incline, right? And that means that the heart doesn't have to work so hard to pump all the blood against gravity to get into the brain. So the heart can relax. That's part of why the nervous system can rest. Heart doesn't have to work so hard. It also can release your spine. If you're up, it depends on the height uh, that you put your hips, but there's a little bit of... um, that incline again, so that uh, potentially, depends on your body, the vertebra can separate a little bit more. So there's just a tiny bit more room for your discs. The slight inversion gives more space to the organs and glands. Because generally our posture is not so good, you know, so we're kind of squishing things. So when you're lying down flat on the floor, or when your hips are up, there can be a little bit more room in there. Everybody likes room. Everything likes some space. And especially that's great for the intestines. It, you might have sensed a difference in your breath when you came down, especially. You might have felt maybe a little bit longer or something like that. Um, so it can be a, a refresh button, you know. Ten minutes is a good amount of time. I do that, you know, sometimes 20 minutes, half hour. If you fall asleep, you fall asleep. It's still going to do the work for you. But if you can stay present and track your breath and stay with sensations, then you can actually meditate in the posture. Because remember that the four poses that are most suitable for meditation, seated, standing, walking, and lying down. Now, typically we don't teach the lying down ones because why? We fall asleep. Right, So there's always going to be that. But if you can stay wakeful, present, feeling, noticing, being with, when you're in a pose like that, then you can meditate in that pose. So it unwinds the body, it can unwind the mind, and you can use it as a time to let go. So in the morning, we practice the, the breath in and renewing, the breathing out, um, this was an option anyway, the breathing out and letting go. You do that in that pose. There was a difficult situation. Breathe in, get some space. Renew. Breathe out. Purposefully let it go. And when you breathe out, and we'll do this again just to sink it in. When you breathe out, you, you imagine that the breath out dissipates with whatever it's carrying. It dissipates in the atmosphere in front of you. So you're seeing it through completion. Breathe in, get space. Breathe out, let it go. Watch it go. Not only does this complete the process, but it keeps you concentrated and mindful. Training the mind. Training the mind. Stay with it. Beginning, middle, and end. Does that make sense? Anybody have an experience um, of that pose that you'd like to share or have a question about it before we move on? Does it feel okay? Are you tired? 
little afternoon, tired. It can be relaxing. Yeah. Hang on one sec. Cherise, can there's a question here? Can you raise your hand if I can see? Ah, excellent. Well, I noticed that um, when my either my mind would wander or even get a little sleepy, and then I would notice that my breath had changed and it wasn't as full. Mm-hmm. And then that, so that would bring me back mm-hmm. to paying attention to my breath. But it, to my breath, but it kept it was just struck me um, just feeling the difference. Mm-hmm. When, as I said, when I got sleepy or, you know, the, my, I caught my mind going somewhere. Right. And then it was like, oh, okay, I'm not, I need more. Actually, what happened is I felt like I didn't have enough breath mm-hmm. in that moment. Ooh. Well, you had enough to stay alive. Yeah, right. But, but, but my body said, I, did, I mean, my body said, I, it, my body said, you want, you know, come back, basically. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, my body said, I mean, I felt the body going, that, that I wanted, the body wanted a different kind of breath mm-hmm. at that moment. And then what was that? How did you respond? Then I would, I would either do, you know, sometimes I breathe up my back and down the front. Okay. Or I breathe into my, what I call gills, the side <laughs> of my body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would just shift, I mean, it shifted my awareness again. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And you know, what's interesting about that is that, uh, many things, thank you for sharing that, is um, that often we will think that the body needs more breath than it actually does. That's the mind talking, not the body. But that we we have ways, what you're uh, uh, sharing is that you have different skillful means that you use to not only... I, I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth, but you tell me to bring you back to the present and start again. Yeah, right. yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, that's what skillful means are for. Now, here's where we could sometimes wade into a little bit of tricky territory. Just to throw this out here, because um, I came into meditation through the yoga door, so I'd been doing yoga for uh, like 12 or 15 years before I started to meditate. And so to sit and not do anything with my breath was the biggest challenge I had ever had. To not fix my posture or rearrange my posture was another big challenge that I had. To not dislike my body, you know, for whatever it was feeling was yet another challenge that I had. And so all this to say that I recognized, um, and and you mentioned this earlier about, you know, wanting to rearrange or change how you're feeling, you know, it's like, that's natural. We all, we want to find more comfort all the time. There's really nothing wrong with it until we catch that that might, and I'm not suggesting this with you, I was just bringing this to mind, until we, we find that it might be um, keeping us from actually staying with what is. And so I just want to bring this in as, uh, as a maturing process of our practice is to notice that, oh yeah, I've got all these tools now and these skillful means at my disposal and they're very helpful and they're healthy. 
but am I now using them bef- without actually feeling where I am enough? So we could be using the tool too quickly. So there's a parable of, uh, in, in Buddhist um, story about, and it's told different ways, I'll just tell you one way, is that there are two uh, monks that need to get across a river. And um, one monk finds a raft, and he and his friend cross the river with the raft, get to the other side. Great. So the monk that found the raft carries the raft on his head. So they're walking on the ground, on the land, and his friend turns and he says, why are you still carrying the raft? He said, I can't let it go. That's what we want to just be careful of. Because skillful means are good, and things that bring us back to the present are always great. But if we can't come back, or we can only come back certain ways, and we just want to alert ourselves to that, and let go of a technique. So techniques and skillful means are really, really important. Until they become habitual, and we can't let them let them go. So just to keep your eye on on that kind of thing for yourself, because only we know that. So we want to be able to notice and recognize and sit with, and then, as I think you did, and then skillfully pick up a tool. Utilize it. Put it down. Right? Not to cover up, not to be bypassing, no spiritual bypassing in here. (laughs) But to help us get to the other side, to the shore, and then, when we can, and then put the raft down. So in order to know what tool or technique or skillful means that would be most applicable, we need to really get to know what's going on inside. Right? And then we experiment. Does this work? Does that work? Etc. So we don't want to walk around regulating our breath. I will caution you around that. The nervous system doesn't like that at all. And Really, when you pay attention to your breath, for those of you who have meditated for any length of time, you realize that when you're meditating, when your mind gets calm, or when you're resting, um, the breath is extremely shallow. I call it a whisper. It's teeny, teeny, tiny. It's not a big breath. Pranayama and different kinds of skillful means around the breath are specifically to bring in more oxygenation, control the mind, you know, control the breath, control the mind, create more space for breath when it's just natural, but not to do all the time. Because we don't want to interfere with our natural rhythms so much, especially breath. Breath is a a very uh, deep pattern. And if you fiddle with it more than... 
is good for your system, your system will tell you this. You might get a little cranky. Um, you will not feel natural breathing. You know, you won't know what's natural breathing anymore. You've manipulated it so much that you can't just be with what it is. So you just want to keep your eye on that. Be aware of it. But breath practices are beautiful as skillful means when we need them. So let's try um, the breathing exercise again. I'm going to give you one more um, suggestion on how to use this that you might want to carry around for times when maybe you feel um, a little constricted emotionally. Okay? So, you know, we're kind of always trying to take our own pulse or our own temperature, look at our tongue or our eyes. Uh, The more we check in with ourselves, the more we know, okay, well, this is how I look when I'm Pretty, when I'm doing pretty well, and this is how I am when I'm not doing very well. This is how my breath is, my body is, my shoulders, my mind, my heart, my belly, whatever. And then these are some things that I can do to bring myself back to being here now and being a little more sane and stable and, and hopefully uh, happy. So... Um, in the skillful means department again, this time we're going to be imagining that we're breathing in and out through the heart or through the heart center. Now, not everybody's visual, so don't worry if you're not. If you're not a visual person, then just imagine and see if you can, expand the ribs right in the chest area and then not contract, but you'll feel the rib cage go back together towards itself. So it's expanding and contracting, although contracting doesn't mean grip, okay? So we're just going to breathe in and out through the chest. If you're visual, you can picture that. I like to picture um, a window. So I imagine myself opening the window here right in my chest, and I'm letting the breeze come in and out. If that helps you, that's great. Or you can just feel or sense the breath in this area of your chest, okay? So you can do this with your eyes open or your eyes closed. Either imagining that you're going to be breathing in and out through the chest or really moving the breath right into that area of your body on purpose. Or something that's close to either of those suggestions. Because as long as it works for you, then it's working for you. So let's start by very tenderly elongating the breath. You might be able to notice the coolness of the breath as it comes in and the warmth of the breath as it leaves. So just take a couple of longer, slower breaths in and out and see if you can feel the coolness of the breath right in the center of the chest there or in that vicinity. And then when you breathe out, you'll feel warmth. So that's just bringing you into the general area of the heart, heart area, mid-chest area. Breathing in 
and breathing out more directly just in there. When you breathe in, expand your ribs just gently, right under the armpit area, middle of the breastbone type area, or in that place, and in the back. See if you can expand the ribs gently, and then let that go when you breathe out. The more specific is good, but anywhere in that area is fine. Just expanding the ribs side to side, front to back, and then letting the ribs drop back towards each other when you breathe out. So the diaphragm is slightly engaged, lightly engaged. You can imagine that you're breathing in and breathing out through the heart. Breathing in and breathing out through a window. Or just feeling and sensing the breath in that area of your chest. And as you breathe in, begin to elongate the pause after the inhalation. Just a tiny bit. Count to one or two. And then breathe out. And after you exhale, begin to elongate that pause just a tiny bit so that you pause one or two seconds, maybe three. And then breathe in again. Because it's in these little pauses that we begin to change the mind. Instigating a pause when the body is full. Noticing that tiny little fullness and then paying attention to the pause that happens after we breathe out and noticing the emptiness the stillness breathing in we can imagine and make the intention that we're finding space that we're procuring space airing out the chest airing out whatever we want. And then when we breathe out, letting go. Letting whatever it is that we don't uh, find skillful or helpful in our lives, emotionally, physically, mentally. Imagine it going out with the out-breath. Just let it go and then watch it dissipate. It's absorbed into the atmosphere in front of you. Breathing in, procuring space, some softness, and breathing out and letting go. Breathing in, pausing, noticing that pause. Breathing out, feeling the breath go out, let go. And then again, turn and notice the pause. using intentional, skillful means, controlling the breath very, very lightly, not with a hard hand, with this very soft touch. The breath is delicate, soft, and tender. And so that when we look at our breath this way, when we practice breath this way, we can be practicing kindness towards ourselves, 
this soft, loving, tender breath can go anywhere, really. In and out of the chest, in and out of the throat area, the shoulders, the belly. Any place that we might have held tension or be holding tension right now. If a part of your body felt like it was under assault earlier in the day, you can renew it just like this. Tend to it, care for it, air it out, soothe it. Whatever we carry around, little by little, slowly, slowly, we can let it go. May not be the first breath, may not be the second, might be the hundredth. But we work with ourselves, with tenderness and care, kindness, directness. Being our own best friend. Cultivating a loving and kind friendship with ourselves. If you're hesitant or reticent, know that that's sometimes very natural. You can stop, drop it, just notice regular breath. And come back whenever you're ready. And sometimes it feels maybe a little forced, and that's okay too. Sometimes something's new, it's foreign, it's awkward but with some kindness and some gentleness, it can become natural. Our practice is what we become over time. Embodying and embracing it. Instilling it into our cells, into our bones, into our tissue, into our hearts, into our space. Breathing in and breathing out. Now allow the practice of breathing to drop. Put the raft down. Notice your breath just as it naturally is. Maybe it's really tiny and so, so, so quiet. Feel your feet. Notice your legs. 
Sense your sit bones on the cushion or the chair. And then when you're ready, allow your eyes to slowly open. And again, we take the room in softly, receiving, receiving, receiving. No agenda. Just being here. We instigate and bring in these little pauses. A minute here, ten minutes there, five minutes here, a couple of seconds there, maybe a little longer. Of course, longer, yeah, embeds and embodies the practice more. But we don't always have a lot of time. So the time accumulates little here, a little there, ends up to be much more. Um, one of my teachers, Minji Rinpoche, Rinpoche says, um, short periods many times. Short periods many times. Because sometimes that's where our life is, yeah? We're at work, there's a lot of demand on our time. And we may not have the time to go on retreat or not so many times that we can take a day and maybe not so much time during the day that we can stop and really get a sense of where we are and then work with that. We may not have those moments. But at some point during the day, if we can spend five, ten minutes refreshing creating just a little bit of a gap or space where the mind isn't so full of thinking so much because we focused it on something else. That's why that's one of the great things about a breath practice or a visualization practice is giving the mind something to do. Very helpful. Doing a restorative pose or something like that, going out and sitting under a tree. Just give the mind a little break. And if we add intention, so concentration, attention, and intention to whatever it is that we're doing, like I'm going to let go, or I'm going to air out, or I'm going to rejuvenate or renew and let go, whatever the practice is that's helpful to you in that moment or that time, then it it really um, fortifies whatever it is that you're doing even more. So intention is great fortification to attention. What are our intentions? You know, that's why I always like to ask why you're here. You know, what was interesting to you? What brought you to this day together? What are you working with? And then we have to think about, well, what, what, what did motivate me? And what does motivate me? And what would I like to see? 
And how can I take better care of myself and others? And so that we're culling and cultivating and nourishing and even maybe renewing or, or starting for the very first time to have a relationship with ourselves. And that might be awkward at first. I, I know for me it was when that started. When I started to try anyway. It could be awkward, you know. We're not taught this. But we treat other people a lot of times much better than we treat ourselves. And that doesn't have to be the case. Do you have a comment? Sure, hang on one sec. Hopefully I can get this out clearly. I'm struggling with the idea or the connection between the intention of the practice being an opportunity for us to embody a new way and then the difference between the monk and the raft, put it down and let it go. Mm -hmm. Is that like the difference between being and trying? Mm, I wouldn't say trying, but being, we we want to learn, because that's a skill, how to just be with whatever is arising, whether it be comfortable, uncomfortable, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral even. Sometimes being in neutral territory is... New. <laughs> um, so there's that aspect of practice, which is incredibly important. Maybe even more important than the tools, at least at first. And then once we've noticed how things are, without pushing them away, without denying or bypassing, then well, what would be skillful, what would be helpful, what would be healthy now? So it's not about necessarily especially when something's really uncomfortable, sitting in the fire for a really long period of time. Um, But it is about recognizing the fire, feeling the fire, whatever that entails, and then applying a skillful means. So when and how much is really a personal choice. You know, I think uh, we are the only ones... Uh, unless you have a really deep, dear spiritual friend who might be able to help you with this, and, and that's part of the beauty of having spiritual friends, is that you know we know, oh, well, I'm overindulging, um, I'm pushing away, I'm bypassing, I'm avoiding, um, I'm not really f- able to sit with what I need to sit with, the restlessness, the discomfort, whatever it is, irritability, grief, sadness, anxiety. You know, um, but so only we know how long we can or cannot tolerate something and when it's no longer helpful. Helpful to some degree to note, yes, obviously to notice and be with. But at a certain point, just like we might be using a tool to quickly to help ourselves, we could also be punishing ourselves by sitting with something longer than we really need to, and especially if something's acute. So in times of very acute emotion or mental dis- distress, that's not the time you sit and really look at it. That's the time you go out, you are with a friend, you're with someone that can help you, you're using tools. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So it, there's these fine lines in there um, that are, I, I think, you know, hard to distinguish at first. But over time, you'll know. When you're using the raft, holding on to the raft too long, or to get picking up the raft too quickly, or when you're sinking in the ocean for too long and you're drowning and you need a raft. So in between those two things is a balance and some equanimity that comes from the wisdom of observing. That's what knowing is. And then, you know, keep that heart right there. <laughs> you know, I think our hearts have such a, you know, a complementary voice to our mind. Um, it's not one or the other. It's not all so good all the time. And it's not all so terrible all the time. You know, it's... Well, we want to be able to balance the heart and the mind, wisdom and compassion. Those are the two wings of the bird that allow us to fly through the sky. <laughs> For those of you who are um, with people that might be in distress or you're in distress, when we're in distress, we can regulate through, through breath, yeah, like we've been doing. If you're with someone else who's in distress, for those of you who work with others in this way, um, gosh, it could even be your teenagers, if he, it can be animals too. I've done this with a, I trained a dog this way. Um, by regulating your breath and making it just a tiny bit more exaggerated, you're affecting and confecting the person or the being that you're with. Did you know that? It's pretty interesting. If your breath is up high or you're holding your breath or the way that we are in our bodies... Uh, well, not not if, or when we're holding our breath or when we're tensing our body, we feel that in each other. Animals definitely sense it. So if you can relax your body and either regulate your breath a little bit or put it someplace specifically, especially if you can do a, a relax your diaphragm and put your breath in your belly, you automatically will have, not automatically, but you will have an effect on the person that you're with. Now, it may not be enough to calm somebody down, but we always try to kind of find each other's rhythm. It's sort of a natural, unspoken pact that we have. And we feel things, you know, we're natural sensors, so we will feel and and imitate each other to a great degree. If you're up all in your head and excited, then I might, I'm going to start feeling my energy do the same thing. So it's like listening. The, the more we can listen at empty container, the more we ground ourselves and are present, the more that will affect the person or the people that we're with. 
So there's this sort of unspoken sanity that gets passed, that can get passed from one person to another. So I wanted just to bring this up because um, because especially when we're talking about breath and regulating breath as a tool, um, breath and energy, breath and mind are inextricably linked. So when you're um, anxious or upset, your breath is going to reflect that. Yeah, we all know that. It's pretty it's a pretty uh, obvious example. When you're not completely at ease, where is your breath in your body generally? Yeah, it's high, right? Energy and breath go up normally towards the head. Thinking, 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 thinking. That's where the energy of the body, that's where the breath of the body is. So I'm talking somatic tones now. When your breath is lower, or you, you, like right now, because we've spent a day doing different practices, where do you sense your breath now? Can you feel it a little lower in your body? Okay, as an experiment, try just standing up, and notice how you feel standing after the practices that we just did. And I want you specifically to notice the weight of your body. The center of gravity, the weight of your body. Can you feel a difference in how you were earlier? Anybody feel a little bit more weight on the feet? Or the body just feels heavier? Maybe you feel a little breath down lower? Most likely it's not, unless you're you know, not doing too well right now, uh, mentally or emotionally. Especially, it's probably not up high in the throat or the uh, chest area. So let's sit down. So that was just an example. Now, when we lose the feeling of our feet on the floor, when we lose a sense of our body, when we are not breathing naturally, when we're breathing naturally, the belly will move up and down. It's not because we're breathing in the belly. It's because the diaphragm is relaxed. When the diaphragm is relaxed, it goes like this. When we're upset, we tense our diaphragm, breath goes up. It's constricted. When we're at ease, our diaphragm is soft. We're not tightening the solar plexus, this area. And we feel the belly moving because of that. To greater or lesser degrees. So, if we can learn, and you can, through different methods and means like we're doing today. These are some of them. But if you can learn to lower your breath and your energy and feel your feet, your voice will go down. The whole tone of your body will change. And if you're upset, and I'm not, and I'm standing here, and I'm talking to you like this, that's going to start to rub off. If you're upset and you're making me upset, that will heighten what's going on. And so the introception aspect, the inner awareness aspect, is so beautiful in times like that because we can then, ah, well, I feel my breath go up, I feel my diaphragm tighten, I feel my shoulders lift, I feel my jaw 
contract. I feel whatever it is that's happening in my body, I've lost touch with my feet. In a moment or two, I can drop that down. I can change it. I'm back on the ground. And now I'm really here for you. So we learn to use that as a skill more and more quick. It'll happen more quickly the more you practice that. And that way, not only are we in relationship with ourselves in that moment, because I feel, oh, haha, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go up. And before we know it, the energy is spinning the mind. I can start to feel that as it happens. I can drop myself down, be more aware of my body and my breath, relax, I'm more present. Now I'm here with you. When I need to, I've not only helped myself, but I'm going to help the people that I'm with. And so especially when you're with someone that needs you to be there, you want to know how to do this. And this is how you're not, you're, it's like when we turn and look in, that's our inner awareness, but we're still out here in the world. I'm still with you, but I know what's going on in here. We're in and out at the same time, inner and outer awareness. We're, we've developed that relationship with ourselves, and now we can be in better relationship with others, and therefore more helpful. And so this is one of the key ways that especially if you're a caregiver of any kind, I mean, even you could just be a friend. (laughs) If we can learn to be in relationship with ourselves and others at the same time, because it's not just about you and it's not just about me, but it's about all of us or both of us, then that's a great um, aspect of inner awareness that I think we all want to be able to um, utilize and embody. Yeah? Does that make sense? So being aware of the body, being aware of the breath are two of our greatest um, means to regulation and inner awareness. But it also involves being aware of what's going through the mind and what's going through our, cell, our whole you know, landscape emotionally. So it's not just body, it's not just breath, it's every aspect that we have that we can notice at any given time. But breath and body are just really good keys and ways to get us back into the present now. When you feel your feet, you're back on the ground. Thank you, that was good. Try, no, try that again. Excellent. That helps. Does that make sense? Okay. Because, you know, helping others does help us as long as we're not helping others in, at the, our own exclusion then it doesn't help us. And this is important because I think this, is, this can touch all of our lives, whether we're in whatever kind of work we're doing. It's sort of the... It, it can be called the, the bodhisattva curse. Have you, do you know the bodhisattva, what a bodhisattva is? A bodhisattva is someone that makes a vow to help relieve the suffering of all sentient beings as long as there is any suffering anywhere. It's a big vow. (laughs) And people take it with really good intention. Like, I want to be of service. I want to help others. My heart, you know, is compassionate and I want to help as much as I can. 
and I think probably everybody in this room has a little bit of a bodhisattva in them. But if I help others at my own exclusion or annihilation, then it's not being a bodhisattva, it's being sort of reckless. And it's also not really quite understanding what interdependence is all about. Because if we see ourselves as greater or lesser than anyone else, then that's delusion. We are as important as everybody. Everybody is important. All of our feelings matter. All of our lives matter. And I can help you or you can help someone else if you're helping yourself as well. Much more than if you're not. So this inner and outer way of being, inner awareness and outer awareness, open receptivity, pausing, creating a little bit of a space so that you can actually know what's happening is, I think, one of the greatest skills that we can develop through mindfulness and meditation and somatic practices. So we've been doing some somatic practices as well. And even if it's not something that you get right away, you know, maybe some of this was really new for you today and it was, you know, kind of hit or miss, I... I can pretty much guarantee that if you keep doing it, you'll get it. Because, you know, these kinds of practices are very practical and hopefully very accessible. And any of us can do them if we just put our minds to it. If we keep um, our intentions renewed. (laughs) You know, intentions are great because they're renewable. They're not as uh, strict and solid as goals. Intentions move with each moment, you know. Intentions are based on the present moment. And this is why community is so important, too, because, you know, we gather, maybe you made a friend here, a new friend, or, you know, hopefully you'll go home with a new friend. I mean, not go home with them, but... (laughs) Well, maybe you will. Would that be nice? Hey, I'm going back to Jill's workshops. <laughs> you give me uh, get a great reputation in Marin. Um, but we, you know, we meet other people of like mind and heart, or you already know them, I'm sure. But we help each other. We support each other in in swimming up, which is basically against the stream. You know, this is not pop culture. Not everybody is practicing inner awareness. <laughs> wants to, or even cares, you know. Like, no. So we need to support each other with this kind of work. Be kind and tender with each other. Because all of our practices are relational, and they're circumstantial, and it's about whatever is happening right now. And when we forget, we try to remind ourselves. And when we see someone that we love forget, we remind them. Gently, humility, and understanding. Because a lot of practice is also about remembering. So inner awareness, 
It's just being aware of what's going on inside, mentally, emotionally, physically. Interoception, same thing. And when we take care and we are self-regulating, regulation is kind of an interesting word, when we're taking care of ourselves because of what we notice, then that's skillful. It creates an atmosphere of better health, emotional health, mental health, physical health, as best as we can. You know, nothing's a panacea, I know that. Practiced a lot of yoga in my life, and over 150 retreats, I still had to have heart surgery. You know, there's no guarantee. But we create the best... uh, garden bed and soil as we possibly can so that we can continue to blossom throughout our lives. And maybe we're not going to be growing physically. Well, maybe sometimes we grow physically. Who knows? You know, I gained uh, a few inches by standing better. But we grow spiritually. We grow emotionally. We grow mentally. And we continue to develop our minds. And we support each other with this. Emotional intelligence is is the same. It's being able to be in touch with our own inner wealth and also being able to read others. Can't read others if we're busy figuring out what they've already just said or what they're about to say, excuse me. You know, if we're ahead of the game, we're not hearing, we're not listening, we're not being with. And the phenomenological approach is testing everything, noticing everything from our own direct experience. Not to become self-indulgent or narcissistic, but to just know how things are affecting us. That way we know what skills to use, when to put them down, etc., So hopefully you go home with one thing, not one person necessarily, but one thing. (laughs) That might be helpful. And this is with on all our capacities. You know, we all have the capacity to make better choices for ourselves, to help be supportive of ourselves, and to be supportive and really present and sane for others and for our planet. You know, we need all the sanity we can muster right now. Not wishful thinking, not bypassing, not denial, and, you know, a little bit of anger maybe to get get the fires going, but not to consume us, for sure. We need to be as balanced as we can be. So all of us are spiritual warriors in one sense or another, or we wouldn't be here. We need to keep um, ourselves strong. Open and strong. Any questions before we close? Thoughts?
Yes. Um, no, hang on one sec. Right here. Just wanted to say that I love today, and um, I hope you do a part two. <laughs> of this? Um, oh, yeah, I'm always doing these. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm a psychologist, and I sit with a lot of people every day. And so I'm practicing a lot of what you've been teaching. Yeah. Um, and it keeps me going. It keeps me able to continue the work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so today has been wonderful. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, we need you, you know... We need all of you. Um, really, we hold important places and, and space for others. And so, yeah, we need to be able to take care of ourselves. Well, why don't we just sit in silence for a few minutes together? Even in silence, we can have a sense of community and support. from those who are around us right now. And whether we know each other or not, there's a sense of knowing. It comes from doing this kind of work together. Just being in the same space with some similar intentions. And it's very worthwhile to recognize your own courage and strength to take the time to be here today. Whatever rearranging or arranging you had to do to make this day happen. To learn something, maybe gain a new skill. And just to take a day to step away. Step up to yourself. Step into yourself. Step away from your daily routine. And just that is is really huge. We want to honor that in ourselves. And maybe today is even the start of a better relationship that you have with yourself a kinder, more understanding relationship of your humanity and how to work with your own difficulties and, and your own strengths. We have both. But to appreciate what we have while we have it and also to appreciate what we don't have.
We have this uh, wonderful gift of breath. And the ability to begin again with every breath that we take until we take our last one. To push a pause or a reset, to be more kind, to be more thoughtful, to pay better attention, to wake up, be present, mindful. Recognize the preciousness of what we have right now before it's gone. Tend to ourselves in the best way we know. Using skillful means, using our ability to Stay with what is. Have support when we need it. Find guidance and inspiration. Continue on a path It has ethics and morals. It allows us to be the best that we possibly can be. May we all be happy. May we all experience joy. May we all be peaceful. May we all be loved and know that we're loved. May we all love each other freely and abundantly. May we all be safe. May we all be at ease. And may we all be freed from suffering.
Thank you very much for being with me today. There, um, I have some cards out on the table. Um, part of the um, bigger part of what I'm doing nowadays for a long time is why I have to update that bio. <laughs> is uh, I have an organization that's called the School for Compassionate Action. We're actually looking for a new name, but haven't found it yet. And um, it is to help um, help everybody understand, as many people as want to, but especially those who are uh, in need or are working with at-risk community, communities or in jobs that might... Um, benefit from this, but to apply mindfulness to particular communities, conditions, and interventions. And to integrate mindfulness in a way that's practical and accessible and can meet different kinds of situations, not just sitting and meditating on a cushion, but out in the world. And so uh, we have events that we sponsor, and uh, we have... um, uh, Matthew Brensilver is coming um, February 3rd uh, to Berkeley, where we are, um, to talk about psychotherapy, science, and mindfulness. And on February 4th, Mark Coleman, who was downstairs today, is coming in to talk about mindfulness of mind and working with the inner critic. I have a weekend... March? March, yeah, sorry. March 3rd and 4th. And then um, I have a weekend in Berkeley um, on chronic pain how to apply mindfulness and different somatic practices to uh, working with chronic pain. And then I'm back here in April and and, um, teaching on anxiety. And then I'll be doing a um, non-residential retreat here in July. It's not been posted yet um, for self-care, self-regulation, self-care, kind of like what we're doing here, but a a little more involved. So um, I hope I see you again. I also have an email list if you want. I write a short essay every month on something that I hope is interesting and helpful, um, along with announcements of what, what I'm doing and what our people that we're sponsoring are doing in the area. So I hope to see you again sometime. And if I can be of support to you um, in your work, I'd be... Very, very honored and and thrilled. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.